Hello and welcome once again to the Star Wars Forum UK podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, back as your host once again, better known on the boards as Boba Skinner. This is episode three, Trifecta. Joining me this evening are the usual ragamuffin crew. We've got the forum's CC4RHU. He's a northerner, but we won't hold that against him. It's Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Good evening, guys. Next up, fresh from his psychedelic Glastonbury grinding with Michael Fassbender, we have the forum's Morster 79, Mr. Grant Criddle. Evening, buddy. Bitchawawa. Next we have the member with mug stamped on his forehead after he got proused last month. Let's hope he's had a better few weeks with less people taking advantage. It's the forum's Mr. Shifter. It's Ben Coomber. Welcome, Benji. Hello, everybody. And finally, we have the forum's naughty Jedi. Having gotten to know him over the last few weeks, I think he's not so much naughty, rather just a pervert. It's pervy Pete Davis. Good evening, Pete. <laughs> So, here we are at episode number three already, and I'm sure all the team here would agree that it seems to have flown past and can't believe they were already on our third edition. This episode has got a corker of a forum interview, as myself and Mr Criddle got to chat with three-pack collector and expert Mr Chris Caswell. We also have the concluding part of the Farthest From interviews, as we hear from both Wayne Streak and Gary Mancini. Pete will once again be checking out the vintage market, Ben has been stalking the latest acquisitions thread on the forum, and the team have all been checking out their favourite threads. Rich brings us a new boom story, and I've been told it isn't about David Prowse, and Grant brings us a marvellous oddballs this month. We also bring you yet another competition whilst announcing who has won last month's. So sit back and enjoy what is likely to be another action-packed show. They won a wonder. So, lads, great to be back with you all once again. Really looking forward to this show, having seen what we're covering. So to start us off this episode, I was wondering what everyone's been purchasing, if anything, since we last got together. Uh, Rich, you picked anything up? Yeah, I think I've went a bit mental these last few weeks. I managed to pick up a Cantina adventure set, uh, the Creature Cantina um, adventure set. I managed to pick up some erasers, which I thought were the smelly ones to pass on to Grant, but they're not. Pretty nice, so two are in the bubble uh, still, one is loose. I picked up a box back, turret and probot set, and lots of acrylic cases from our good friend uh, Ian Sanderson, the GW acrylic reseller. So, I've had a pretty good month this month. Oh, actually, I've also picked up on the sly a 12-inch Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I've been looking for quite a while, so that's another one knocked off my list now. Cool, you've been having a big spend-up. Are these all boxed, uh, Rich, or loose? No, I, I don't collect boxed, Grant. The only boxed item was the Jewback, which I've got plans for the box. So, I've had to sell my second kidney uh, to fund all this, so I'm, I'm running out of internal body organs. Wow. Ben, did you have any money left from your David Prowse experience to buy anything this month? 
I had money left over after meeting Mr. Prowse, which was a surprise. Nothing in my wallet, but uh, luckily didn't get to my bank account. Um, I haven't actually bought anything uh, for my collection this month. So it's been a pretty quiet month, but I have paid for plane tickets to Los Angeles for next April. I suppose it's a Star Wars related purchase, but yeah, I'm going to Anaheim. You sitting on the plane with Grant? Uh, no, I um, I bought the plane tickets and then managed to use all my wife's air miles to upgrade them to premium economy, so uh, I shall be sitting by myself. <laughs> but that's a relief, Grant. Uh, are you sure about that, Ben? We'll have to check it out. We'll check it out later, mate. We might be on the same plane. That'd be exciting, wouldn't it? I can't. I can't wait. <laughs> um, Grant, while you're talking, what, have you picked anything else up? Yes, mate. I've broken the bank. I have bought a scented Han Solo Star Wars eraser, but in, that is good actually because it completes the one display box. So that's one display box done. But that is it. Not much to buy. Uh, haven't bought much this month. Ben, I would just be careful not to go a beard because obviously you may be going to Disney World next year, and I would hate it, I would hate for you to get mobbed by little kids mistaking you for one of the seven dwarves. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Richard, I, I'm incapable of growing a beard, so uh, that's nothing you have to worry about. Oh, sorry, Ben, I didn't realise you'd not gone through puberty yet. My fault. Oh, everyone's a comedian tonight. <laughs> and Pete, picked anything new up? Yeah, um, a couple of things. I got um, the Max Rebo box of uh, Palatoy 78 on the forum. Um, I have no idea why, it just something I fancied. Um, I've managed to get the vintage escape pod from the land of the Jowers, and um, a couple of days ago, finally, after weeks and weeks of waiting off eBay, I got a series two of the Topps Empire Strokes back cards, all in a very, very nice condition, actually. Um, but no, no figures, really, this month. How about you, Stu? Have you picked up anything? Uh, yeah, I've picked up a few loose minty figures. And I've ordered one of Jacobina's displays, which um, I believe he's bringing to Father's From for me. But the problem was, about three months ago, I met uh, this lad called Grant on this podcast. And he spoke about his passion for the oddballs. And it is bankrupting me at the moment. Uh, in the last three weeks, I've bought a fair amount of stationery, um, different character soaps, lunch boxes, loads of different records, colouring books, puzzle books, thermos flasks. And I'm now bidding on about eight different Sigma items. So, really? yes, my collection is starting to look like a Star Wars charity shop, as it's come a bit disjointed, but uh, I do like the items. So, uh, yeah, thanks for um, crippling my bank account, Grant. Oh, mate, that's really cool, man. It's nice to see someone else collecting this stuff. That's awesome. Joe, um, you mentioned these display cases from Jack Abina. Um, which one have you went for? Because I think he's, he's got uh, a couple of designs, hasn't he? And, and I, I think they look fantastic. Yeah, well, I'm actually, at the moment, all my stuff's boxed up. I'm converting my garage into like a command cave type thing and I'm, I'm doing one display of the bounty hunters from Empire Strikes Back so he's putting the six bounty hunters in there for me but he is surprising me with a colour scheme that will which will match the uh, figures so looking forward to seeing it yep. I'm more worried that Grant has used mind control to uh, control you Stu I mean <laughs> this is only the start of it, isn't it what's next uh, Jedi mind control actually well yeah well or criddle mind control it just sounds like he's got your brain He's going to do bad things to you. Just watch out, like. Well, I've already sold two erasers to him. Oh, my God. What have you done to him? <laughs> You've got to kill him off. What's I've next? Also, I've also bid on... into his house. <laughs> I've also bid on the things like the money boxes on the Vector's auction. <laughs> and uh, uh, all those sort of items on there. So, is it, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of um, really skewed my collection. Get, get, that, get that Luke Skywalker teapot, mate. You'll never look back. 
Stu, can you buy me the uh, the C3PO tape dispenser for my uh, birthday next year? Oh, I want that piece. It is nice. You've got one of them, haven't you, Grant? Yeah, I totally love it, mate. He awesome. loves pulling that tape from between his legs all the time. <laughs> right. Um, Rich, w- would you rather ride to work on the back of a Tauntaun or a Jubak? Oh, good question. I would say a Tauntaun because it's all about speed, isn't it? Nobody would want to be on a Jubak. You know, Jubak. Actually, when you think about it, right, why is the Stormtrooper riding the Jubak? Surely it'd be quicker to get off and walk. You know, it's 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 bizarre. Uh, where's the Tauntaun? The speed that they get, they get up to. Awesome. Obviously, we've been lucky to get Chris Caswell on this podcast for an interview. Anyone knows who he is will know that he's a huge expert on the three-figure packs. So, a little question for all of you. If you could design your own three-pack, which three figures would be in it, and what would you call your pack? Let's go to Benji. I think I would have a Han Solo, a Lando Calrissian, and a Chewbacca, and it would be called the Pirates Pack. Uh, Ben, which Han Solo and Lando you got there, man? I'd go with the standard uh, Han Solo, the first release, and I quite like the idea of putting a Lando General Pilot in there. But I think the original Lando Calrissian goes more with the the uh, the pirate theme. And um, what about you, Pete? I actually noted down a few, so uh, if you want to bear with me on this one, I thought there could be a plastic savings pack with Wicket, Jar, and Yoda because obviously that will save plastic. Then a plastic <laughs> no option pack the emperor and man man and anakin because they're absolutely loads of plastic in those uh there's also the, the abandoned anakin skywalker family pack which is luke leah and c-3po and uh the lando calrissian's fantasy pack which is leah white um the first one leah bespin and lando with his toothy grin awesome that's three free packs mate i i thought we were only uh, choosing one i had to have more well, I wanted a second one as well. I wanted Three a Jedi packs, Masters bro. pack. I think a Yoda, a Ben Kenobi, an Anakin Skywalker in the Jedi Masters selection. Wait, why? Why is Chewbacca in the Android set, by the way? Anyone know? Just out of interest. Have you shaved oh, his fur man. off and seen, Pete? <laughs> Good point. I think uh, Chris may cover that in the interview a bit later on. So we'll leave it there for now. Well, I hope he does now, because this isn't pre-recorded. Using the Force, I believe he does cover this. Do you reckon he covers it, yeah? I'm, I'm looking into the future right now, and I think, yeah, he probably covers it. I've got a good idea. Why doesn't one of you guys ask him, perhaps, in the forthcoming interview that's not pre-recorded? I like the way that you're saying that, um, you know, I want to go for two or three packs, because surely what you're seeing there is you want a six-pack. Hey, that's not going to happen. I think I've got a barrel pack. <laughs> uh, Rich, what about your three-pack? Right, I spent a bit of time on like the other two, uh, thinking about this and trying to put some kind of uh, context to it. So, oi, 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 oi! Mine was well thought out. <laughs> I bet it was. So was, so was mine. <laughs> yeah, not well, having that. It's better be good. You've set yourself up now. It's better be absolutely amazing. Right, Come in, Rich. Give us your best. Yeah, okay, yes, me best. Better be good. R five D four, the Millennium Falcon. What? Uh, you can't yeah. pull out a three pack. <laughs> Why not? That's I random, think. it'd just be massive. No, think yeah. no. Diecast version, right? Now think about this. Oh, okay. It's still ridiculous. Ooh. Ooh, no, that's good, that's good, I like it that. It is good, yep. And the Jawa Sandcrawler, right? And the hey. title is The Unsung Pieces of Junk. Now, if you think about it, each one of them is absolutely vital to Star Wars. If R5-D4 didn't explode, R2 would have been 
you know, sent off to the spice mines of Kessel or wherever he would have ended up and would never would have seen Ben Kenobi. Without the Millennium Falcon, Vader could have possibly shot Luke down. Equally, you know, Luke may never have got off Tatooine. And without the San, uh, the Jawa Sandcrawler picking up the droids and bringing them to Luke, very, very short, so, so unsung pieces of junk. They're the heroes. I think you probably need to call that the friggy massive pack. Yeah, I'm not having that, right? If, yeah. if, we're, if we're going down that line, right, I'm having a live, time-travelled Princess Leia or Carrie Fisher <laughs> in her white gown, Slave Leia, a real one, and then any other, I don't know, Padme Amidala in no, my no. Dirty, dirty Tarts pack. Whoa, 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 hold on a second, right? I said I thought about this, right? Just because I've inspired you now doesn't mean that you can come back, right? You've had your chance. Right? That's rubbish. Grant? Uh, yeah, um, ben, back me up. Um, I don't know what to say after that. Uh, yeah, I've got three, actually. Yeah, Jabba's cool. Courtyard, which is EV-99, a man a man and yak face with the coins. Uh, Imperial Infantry, which is the Stormtrooper, the Slow Trooper, and the Biker Scout, which I thought would be quite nice. And the DT Collection, which is Luke, Vader, and Ben with the DT Sabres. Yeah, Grant's gone back to sense. Yay! <laughs> I've only picked one, because I didn't realise we were allowed to pick 94. I've got in mind Salacious Crumb, uh, Wicket Warwick, and Max Rebo, and I've called my sets the uh, the Grant Criddle Fetish 3-pack, and it's got a backdrop of Grant laying on a bed in the Slave Layer outfit. <laughs> I think Amazing. we should produce that pack anyway. That's yeah, the stars want to produce. I'm up for that. Maybe we could get it for a, a Dave, Dave Tree uh, convention exclusive. I think I've seen that photo of Grant dressed up as Slave Layer. Isn't it on that uh, Germany... Star Wars expi- exhibition at the moment, the worst <laughs> Star Wars show in history. What do you mean you've seen it? You were in it. You were there. <clears throat> he emailed it to me. Uh, Stu, you said that we weren't allowed to pick three, uh, but in the show notes it just says ten sex each and then any bollocks Stu has dreamt up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says in the show notes, so I just yeah. went down with it, you know? Surely the Grant Criddle three pack would consist of a TIE fighter pilot a TIE fighter pilot, <laughs> and a TIE fighter pilot, but all with slightly different COOs. And that's made amazing. Holy smokes, Ben. That's the greatest three-pack of all time. <laughs> anyway. Said, he said he would have a threesome with Salacious Crime and Max Revo in the last podcast, and that he breastfeeds Wicket. Hell yeah. of a three-pack there. Hell of a three-pack. This is the SWF UK podcast, brought to you in association with Star Wars Forum UK, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. So let's crack on now with the latest acquisitions thread. Ben, over to you, Sunshine. So the first thing I'd like to talk about in this month's latest acquisitions thread, or this month's look at the latest acquisitions thread, is a follow-up post from CoinNut, which relates nicely to the first podcast that we did. Now, a few of you may remember me bumbling my way through a section on Revenge of the Jedi stuff. We talked about the 48 Empire Strikes Back cards that were ported over to Revenge of the Jedi cards, and there were two other cards that made up 50 
uh, an R2-D2 card with no nameplate and a C-3PO card as well, which is sometimes known as the blank card or the error card because there's no picture on it. As if on cue, Coin Nuts picked up these two lovely items and they're there for all to see on the uh, latest acquisitions thread. So if you want to know what I was trying to talk about in uh, podcast one, you can go on there and have a look at them now. They're lovely pieces. Both of them have been graded. And in addition to that, he's got a really, really nice item, something that I... I mean, I don't collect vehicles myself, but I think this is a piece that displays really, really well, which is a Revenge of the Jedi X-Wing box flat, an unproduced box for the Revenge of the Jedi run for the X-Wing before, obviously, it was uh, packaged and sold. So really, really nice looking item. Wow, Ben, you've come such a long way in three months when it comes to uh, Revenge of the Jedi stuff. Congratulations, buddy. Ah, Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to ask everyone, does everyone know what a box flat is, just to check? Yeah, a flat box. Amazing. <laughs> you just swapped the words around, that's crazy. I tell you what, Richard, it's a good job you're here on this podcast, because <laughs> without you, we'd just absolutely fall to pieces, we really would. Ben, I've been looking at Coin Nuts collection there, and I've been really studying these revenge proofs, and something that I've noticed on the box for the X-Wing, it says ages five and up. I was just looking for any kind of peculiarity on these boxes. Um, and then I scrolled back up and looked at the R2, and it says ages four and up. So I thought, right, okay, the figures are ages four and up, but the ships are ages five and up. Now, that sounds a bit odd to me, because surely if it's for ages X and up, the reason being is because there's small parts that somebody could choke on. I would imagine the blasters, the rifles being the most dangerous um, accessories to choke on. Um, surely it would be the ships that would be okay for the younger kids because it's unlikely that there's going to be anything small and to choke on. Equally, if you were four years old at Christmas, you could have the R2, you could have the figures, but you're not allowed to get the fighter. Sounds very odd. What do you think of that? To be honest with you, Richard, I have no idea where that peculiarity comes from. No, I've never even noticed that. It was nothing to do with the revenge proofs. I've actually, because when, yeah. when I when I do my research, I actually look at everything I possibly can. And that, that ages five and up stuck in my mind. So then I thought, oh, I wonder if it's a revenge thing. So then when I went and looked at the Return of the Jedi boxes, they are all five and up. The Millennium Falcon, five and up. The, the TIE Fighter, five and up. But all of the basic figures are four and up. How's that? That, that? that is weird, isn't it? That's got to be some sort of health and safety thing. It's got to be something that pertains to an action figure versus a uh, a vehicle. There's got to be some. There's got to be some reason there because I don't oh. think they just. So you're telling me you haven't done your research again? I, I don't know why <laughs> the figures are age four and up and the uh, vehicles are age five and up. It's it's, it's not all the vehicles because the mini rigs are age four and up. Yeah. Yeah, so who knows on this one? Maybe it's something to do with pocket money. It's got to be the loose parts, surely, on the well, ships. Yeah, you know, that, that vehicle, maintenance, uh, vehicle maintenance energizer has loads of tiny little parts that comes with it. That's all that tooling. The thing is, though, four and five, there's not much difference. I mean, it's not like a, a four-year-old suddenly develops different skills in their five. I mean, if you've got any young kids, I've got a nephew. <laughs> I mean, he, he, even at two, he didn't put stuff in his mouth at, at age two. He's, he's gone past that stage already. So uh, four and five is pointless. Could it be battery related? 
I think it's probably battery related. Is it just yeah. the battery operated battery operated toys that have got the age five and above on them and everything else is four? I'm a bloody genius. I don't that, know how to look now. That was a great shout, Rich. Ben quickly jumped on that, didn't he? Like it's he his did, idea. Didn't he? I was I know bollocks. <laughs> I was thinking that at the same bollocks time. Hey, the the, the playsets have ages four and up. I reckon it's a battery thing, you know, guys. Yeah, yeah it must what, be batteries. What fiacle doesn't have a battery in it? I'll have a look at the at that, see if the Scout Walker. Cloud Car. Yeah, Scout Walker. Uh, ATST, good shout. Right, so Cloud the... Car is also a good shout. Credit where credit's due. Yeah, too right. Cloud Car's mm. roll. The, no, the non batch operated land speeder. The Scout Walker is four and up. What's a land speeder? Uh, some of those are battery operated. Yeah, but the ones that aren't. Oh. <laughs> Well, how, how about we compare a battery-operated one to a non-battery-operated Yes! And if the age is different, do it, do I think it, do we it. may have the evidence there to uh, unveil this particular nugget of information onto the Star Wars community. Right, the AT-AT is ages four and up, and that's battery-operated. The land, the land speeder without batteries is five and up. Yeah. Right, okay, so we'll throw that one out to the forum then. If anybody knows why some of the uh, vehicles are aged five and up, but the vast majority of Star Wars items are aged four and up, okay, Whoa. then please let me know because it's certainly interesting and it's, it's the kind of thing that I have a genuine interest in. You know, these little oddities about these um, accessories. Can I just blow your mind? Go on. Hey. The Kenner Star Wars Land Speeder is five and up. The Meccano land speeder is four and up. Oh, French they develop quicker than we do, that's the thing. They're giving them wine at age two and a half, they don't care. Maybe it's something to do with the metric system. Metric system? <laughs> <laughs> We're ten months in a year over in, in America, is it? Yeah, yeah, there you go, see? That makes yeah. more sense, doesn't it? Age five inches and above. I've got a Kenna Artati that's age four and above as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's an enigma wrapped in a riddle. The next item that I'd like to talk about is uh, Nick Isle of Wight's purchase of an Empire Strikes Back Sandcrawler mint in box. Now, this item is a particularly... Well, the box is in fantastic condition. And I asked Nick a few questions about that. It's actually shop stock, so it's in absolute pristine condition. This particular sand crawler is an Empire Strikes Back sand crawler. Now, these uh, Empire Strikes Back box sand crawlers were only released in Canada. The Canadians were late to get the sand crawler, hence the reason that it's in the Empire Strikes Back livery. It's also, obviously, a bilingual box uh, for the French-speaking part of the Canadian population. What makes this particular uh, sand crawler rarer than most Empire Strikes Back sand crawlers, which are rare in themselves, is it came with uh, two Jawas included as part of the package. This was an exclusive offer that was only found in the Sears Wishbook 1980 Christmas edition. This remote control sand crawler seemed to be very pricey for back in the day, nearly $30. Now, when you take into account that the Millennium Falcon um, was released for $25, so that's five bucks cheaper. Are there a lot of these sand crawlers around? Because I would imagine that they weren't too popular back in the day. So are they easy to pick up these? Uh, they're pretty scarce for that reason exactly. It was one of the most expensive vehicles back in the day. 
So you're talking about TIE Fighters and X-Wings being available for about $10 each and this thing being $30. One thing that I think they did on the uh, Star Wars release to try and encourage people to buy this was that they offered a $3 refund if certain terms and conditions of an offer were met. I'm not sure what the terms and conditions were, but obviously it wasn't a wasn't a particularly big seller, which is why it's, uh, it's quite a scarce thing now to uh, actually find. This particular version with the two free Jawas are very, very rare, virtually unseen. Yeah, uh, I find that quite interesting because a lot, um, I was thinking of the other uh, Canadian uh, by logo Star Wars vehicles and play sets. So it also came with free Jawas. And I was going to throw it out to you guys. Can you think of the uh, any of the sets that also came with free Jawas that are also really rare? I could only think of two. I can't think of any, I'll be honest with you. That's not an easy question, man. Land of the Jawas? Uh, yes, Pete. Land of the Jawas is one of them. I can only think of another one. I'll give you a clue. Think Jawas. <laughs> the, the Creature Cantina set? No, there's no Jawas in that. Come on, Rich, we covered that last month. Uh, Droid Factory. The Bi-Logo Empire Strikes Back uh, Droid Factory uh, from Canada also had... Droid Factory? Yeah. The, the Jawas? What are they doing in there? Yeah, have a look at the front of the box. I'm not going to have a look. It's a, it's a dead madness. giveaway. That is madness. <laughs> what are they doing in there, little buggers? Yeah, sorry for jumping in there, Ben, but I thought that was really interesting because you know, the Canadian packs with the uh, little stickers on there with the, the Jawas it seems to be uh, commanding really high prices. Well, moving on a little bit from that, Grant, this particular set with, these, uh, with the two Jawas included, this is a mint in box, so obviously the contents have been opened. And, and as I said before, I spoke to Nick a little bit about it prior to doing the show. At the actual contents of this box, he, he believes may have possibly been swapped out from what was originally in there. As I said before, the box is shop stock, so it's absolutely immaculate. But he did say, say to me the, the contents, not so much so. Now, this particular one comes with two Jawa baggies, which are Star Wars A baggies, as far as he knows, these are the these are the rarest of the of the Jawa baggies that you can get your hands on. But there is some speculation as to actually when the uh, contents were mint in sealed box, whether it was baggies or whether there were some that were actually released with, in this instance, perhaps 41 back Canadian Empire Strikes back carded Jawas. So it's another one of those uh, those things that they're not uh, 100% certain of, or, or Nick didn't seem to think that there was. 100% certain of there was still some debate going on as to uh, as to how they were packaged. Yeah, I got um I got a Canadian by Logo uh, Land of the Jawas set and um on my research for that, uh I was told that it came with two carded by Logo Canadian uh, carded figures for that one. So, but I you know, I don't know for sure, so that'd be something interesting we could throw out there to find out. Nick has obviously uh, been looking at this item for some time due to due to the rarity of it and he he was uh, he had quite a little bit of background information on it but the fact that these that these they don't know whether they came with with baggies or not would be quite quite an interesting thing to say i suppose the only way you'd ever find out would be to get a mint and seal box one and and open it up but uh, that's not something that anybody's ever going to do obviously if you want a mint and seal box one you're going to keep it as a mint and seal box there is another uh, interesting thing that I found out in doing uh, my research on this, and that was the obviously the box is bilingual, uh, and also the remote control has been made bilingual. And they took the Star Wars remote control, replaced it with, or not replaced it, but they they stuck Empire Strikes Back stickers over the top of the Star Wars ones, 
uh, and also added bilingual stickers as well. So it's another part of this particular sand crawler that's unique to the Canadian market. Anyone have anything else to say about that? No, that's 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 really good research, man. I didn't know half of that. Yeah, this is a quality item, though, isn't it? Nick's picked up uh, an item there that's in, in extremely good condition. I really like it. I know that he's um, he's well pleased with it, and it's something that um, that doesn't come up very very often at all. I know the he, I think he got it from Final Frontier Toys. Have you heard of them? Yeah, I've heard of them. You guys? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never ordered anything of them before, but I've had a browse of the website and they've got some cracking stuff on there. The guy that sold it, actually, it's the only one that he'd seen in 20 years of, of uh, start of buying and selling. So it's not something that ever comes up a, a great deal at all. So hes I know he's absolutely stoked to have it. Ben, is this the first radio-controlled toy that Star Wars had, apart from the Sonic one, yeah, the Sonic stuff? Because obviously the Sonic stuff didn't work very well, so is this the first time they switched to radio-controlled, or was that earlier? I'm not sure on that. I, I, I don't think, yeah, I think this is this is the first radio-controlled device. I'm just trying to think of anything prior to that. Because uh, we had Sonic-controlled um, stuff, which was rubbish. Yeah, no, this yeah. is this is um, actually radio-controlled. Yeah, it's yeah, a two-channel it's, radio. Yeah. Uh, it's not very easy to control. It sort of goes forward or goes reverse and turns. There's There's only two buttons. It's not... It's very, very basic radio control, but it is a proper two-channel remote control rather than something that makes a loud clicking noise. So so it is a genuine radio-controlled item. I can't think of anything before that. Did they make a radio-controlled R2-D2 as well? Yeah, that's a good one, actually, Ben. They did do a radio-controlled R2-D2, and had like a little board it went around. But, you know, I didn't think of that. But apart from that, yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? I can't think of anything else. Another pickup that I found quite interesting uh, in the latest acquisitions thread recently is a few Takara items that have been picked up by Yogi, um, whose uh, real name is Craig. Now I know that um, he's got a bit of a, a bit of a Japanese focus going on. So what he's uh, managed to pick up is a selection of loose Takara stormtroopers and a loose C-3PO, as well as a Takara mint on card C-3PO. The collection of uh, loose figures that he's picked up were they're they're a bit bizarre looking. Uh, he's they're actually uh, they belong to some um, kid in Japan who'd customised them. So I think he's picked them up in a pretty poor state and has spent quite some time cleaning various bits of paint and customizations off them. But he's starting to get them looking quite good now. And he's also picked up the fantastic C3PO, or what would have been a fantastic C3PO, which which unfortunately we're going to cover later on in the podcast. But the reason these are quite interesting, the Takara figures, they have alternative sculpts for three of the figures. And the C-3PO is, is one of these alternative sculpts. The three figures that were given alternative sculpts were uh, Darth Vader, a Stormtrooper and C-3PO. Now, they were released in Japan at first on Kenner 12A cards with Takara, what's known as the Takara A sticker. This first run was actually only nine of the 12 figures. You didn't have a Tuscan Raider, a Death Squad Commander or a Jawa. Then they went on to release Takara Bs, which are Kenner B cards with the Takara B sticker, which is slightly different from the uh, Takara A. With this came the Tuscan Raider figure as well, right at the end of the run. But what it also came with this is a new mould for the Vader, the Stormtrooper and the C-3PO figure and a new country of origin marking on them as well, which is a, a made-in-Japan 
So you've got uh, Stormtroopers and Darth Vader are considered the rarer of the two. Um, Vader's are universally accepted as the rarest. However, recent discoveries uh, that uh, Craig, Craig sort of put me on the scent of that there's actually an alternative blaster that comes with these Takara Stormtroopers. So now possibly the rarest one to find is a Takara Stormtrooper with a Takara blaster. And there's quite a few of these Takara Stormtroopers that have been graded loose with the incorrect blaster because it wasn't until recently that the the alternative blaster was discovered and confirmed as a Takara exclusive. The main difference in the sculpts are, are with the head. However, with the Stormtrooper, for example, the actual Takara Stormtrooper, the Takara Sculpt Stormtrooper is shorter than the uh, Kenner Stormtrooper. It's got a different head sculpt and it's got thighs like Roberto Carlos. That's amazing, man. That's really interesting stuff. I've got a couple of questions, but I'm just going to give uh, two for the time being. Now, the first one, the Sam uh, people, the Sam person that came out on the the second uh, collection, you said. I mean, is that really rare? Uh, pass. I'm not um, entirely certain of the rarity of these. Uh, of these, I know it was um, released quite late in the run. Yeah, I didn't even know it was released. So that that that's something new. And um. I've got a question for Rich, actually. As a as a variation collector, are these counted as variations? Is this something variation collectors would be hunting for? That's a good question, that one, because I've never even considered those. I suppose they should do. Certainly the three with the alternative sculpts, the C-3PO, the Vader, and the Stormtrooper, I think they should definitely be counted. The others, I'm not so certain about. Uh, I think they fall under the minor variation category. But great question. I think that's three more I'm going to have to pick up. But, you know, if the Luke has a Made in Japan COO on the back, that would be a variation, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'm not going to go down that route, uh, Grant, because if you, if you collect the COO alternatives, you're going to end up with 10 variations for every single figure. I just haven't got the space for that, and I don't think that appeals to us as much. So I'm, I'm only going to collect the major variations, so I think only C-3PO, the Stormtrooper, and the Vader are what class is major, thanks to these findings. Cheers, Ben. Just a quick interjection there. Actually, the... Uh, from my research, I found the only figures that had the the Made in Japan COO on the actual figures were the three Japanese alternate sculpts, the Vader, the Stormtrooper, and the C-3PO. It's also worth noting that not all of the Takara C-3PO's Vaders and Stormtroopers are the alternate sculpt ones. There were a lot of Kenakarded figures that got the sticker and were then sold in Japan by Takara that are exactly the same as the Kenner counterparts. Another interesting thing that the the alternate sculpts have versus, and I believe this is completely unique to these uh, these Takara sculpts. But if anybody can uh, can put me different, I'll uh, be be great to hear from you. But they've actually got a screw. Each one of them's got a screw that holds the figure together, rather than the sonic welding. Sorry, Ben, is that on all of them? All three of the Takara sculpts have got screws. Ah, screws right, okay. in the back. So this it, is something that um, makes the figure quite a bit different to any other version of the figure. Rich, that's got to be a variation there, mate. A screw in the back. Yeah, totally, Grant. That's what I'm meaning by the major variation. Um, I'm not so bothered that they're a little bit shorter than the other figures. It's, it's the screw. Our class is a major variation. Another uh, interesting little thing about those three major variations, the card back, the Takara B card back that featured these alternative sculpts has got no country of origin on the card back either. The Darth Vader figure 
if you get to look at one, has got a white background behind Darth Vader as opposed to a yellow one, which the standard 12-back Darth Vader, the, the backing colour behind the figure on the bubble is, is yellow, but on this Takara one, it's white. And it's quite a unique thing. I can't think of any other figures that sit on a white card back. And what with, obviously, Vader being black, it's quite a striking. It stands out, makes it makes it look quite striking when it's on the card. Yeah, well, cool, man. Lots of information today. Also, of course, you had the Walking R2, which I don't know a great deal about. But I know that was another Takara, Takara release that was also sold in Canada. Can I ask you boys something that's a bit off topic, especially Ben and Grant? It's... Uh, it's ten inches long, mate. <laughs> three inches, three inches. That's how I measure my Star Wars figures. <laughs> right. Um, it's a bit off topic. It's not actually directly about this. Okay. Right. Obviously, when you talk about twenty backs or twenty-one backs and things, it's the number of figures on the back. Could you just explain the A, B, C, D bit? Different variations on the back of the card. So one will have a twenty-one A will have a Boba Fett rocket firing offer. The second one will have Rocket Firing Boba Fett with text. The next one will have Robert, uh, Rocket Firing Boba Fett with the text scribbled out. The next one will have the text removed. The next one will have the picture of the Boba Fett removed and different figures. So if you've got like a, a 45B, might advertise a Millennium Falcon. Yeah, or a Chewbacca Bandolier, or there'll be a 9-num offer on the front of whatever, um, and not on the front of the equivalent. It's just a slight variation in the print on the card. They'll have changed yeah. the text or they'll have changed what they're advertising or they'll have changed. It's just a very, very slight change. The, the 12As and the 12Bs, it's minuscule change, isn't it? Uh, the, the, um, the 21s goes, go up to about Q, I think. There's also slight variations on the front of the cards on some of them where you'll have all rights reserved with a black background and then all rights reserved with a transparent background. So is there a list of these that's what's what? There is. The Kellerman book is brilliant and there's an out-of-date website as well. Wonderful. Right then. There you go, Ben. You can carry on now. The last thing that I'd uh, just like to uh, mention is our friend Poncho Bell, uh, leading on from our first podcast, look at his limelight. He's been on the prowl for bargains again, and he's picked himself up an absolutely fantastic Tauntaun, boxed Palatoy Tauntaun for an absolute steal. He got it for £50. I hope he doesn't mind me exposing this, but uh, yeah, it normally goes for more than double that in that sort of condition. So he got a real bargain there with that. Nice to see. You know what I'm like? I'm, I'm pretty uh, anal with these boxes. Um, interesting note that the Tauntauns age four and up, going back to earlier. So we've got two Tauntauns. We've got the open belly and we've got the original closed belly one. Now, we've been looking at the boxes. On the open belly, you've got Hoth Han, you've got Hoth Luke and possibly a, a rebel um, commander uh, on top of a Tauntaun there. But... On the original one, what sticks out like a sore thumb is that you've got Leah from the first 12, not Hoth Leah. So any ideas why they went with the original Leah and not the Hoth one? Yeah, it wasn't released, mate. A lot of the, uh, like, you have the Rebel Commander, but the Luke Skywalker Hoth came later, so it's just the fact that the figures weren't out there then. Basically, yeah. they'd, um, they'd, made, they'd made the toy, and they wanted to get the box art done, and it was a case of... Uh, we haven't got what we actually want, but we'll just go with what we've got anyway. Yeah, there's like a 1980 release, a 1981 and a 1982 release for Empire Strikes Back. So they come in three different waves. So I I just don't think that they had the figure ready for that point. It might come a year later. The layer best bin was the first layer out for Empire. So yeah, it probably wasn't. Yeah. 
not not even a prototype or anything like that at all, a display for the box. Uh, not that I know of, man. Did they used to uh, kit bash stuff up like that where they needed a figure and they may have started the production of it, maybe had a torso and a head? They'd just sort of find some limbs to go on it so they could get it photographed or get get it get it pictured and just sort of make up a Frankenstein figure with the bits that they had left. Yeah, yeah, they did. If you get the uh, Star Wars German catalogue, I'm not sure, even sure what that, uh, what the catalogue came in. If you go to the page there where you see the uh, the figures that come on the 20 backs, they're all kit-bashed, uh, heavy prototype. I mean, you wouldn't even recognise some of them. They're, they're totally different. So they have done that. After you give us the uh, show notes, I uh, did a little investigation here. Now, Poncho Belt got the uh, a beautiful sealed Tauntaun for £50. If you think it's an AFA-80, one of those went recently for £177, so he's tripled his money there. And I think it might even be an AFA-85, and one of those went for £475, so he got it for a tenth of its value. What a steal. He's, uh, he's certainly got a nose for sniffing out bargains, has, uh, has Poncho Belt. Accessoried Jawa International Needs Association. We at Vagina are sensitive to the plight of the vital caped Jawa. This shy and extremely valuable creature has been hunted to near extinction, being driven from its natural habitat, seeking refuge in the loft spaces above houses of people up and down the country, hiding behind the lagging around the water tank, underneath the floorboards, or behind the large pile of filthy magazines that your father tells you not to look at. These frightened, shy, extremely valuable creatures may be helped. At Vagina, We have just opened a state-of-the-art research and rehabilitation facility based on our site in the Isle of Wight. Should you find one of these extremely rare and valuable creatures in your loft or the loft of a family member, contact Vagina immediately, where we can help assist you in beckoning this poor creature out and giving it the help and support that it needs. You can find more about our appeal and the plight of the Vinyl Caped Jawa on our website at www.starwarsforum.co.uk. With your help, we may be able to save the last remaining examples of these extremely valuable and shy creatures. Help us make a difference. Thank you for your support.
Right, and I'm delighted to welcome now Chris Caswell from the uh, from the forum, better known to you lot as Caswell. But hello, Chris. Hello, Stuart. And uh, joining us tonight with the interview is obviously our very own Grant Criddle. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Hi, Grant. Yeah, good. Thanks. Uh, thank you ever so much for taking your time, Chris, to uh, talk to us. We really do appreciate it. Not at all. Thanks a lot for having me. One of the best jobs on the uh, on this podcast is me doing the forum interviews because I get to look through the uh, limelights and collections and I must admit yours is absolutely outstanding and stunning there's so much to talk about I'm worried whether we're going to get through it in time in this interview (laughs) (laughs) well there's only a few pieces in there so hopefully we will be able to but uh, yeah I really appreciate the comments that's very kind of you now you're well known for being a three pack expert and owning many three packs including a few pre-production items as well I believe um, yeah, mainly, mainly pre-production now. A lot, a lot of the pro, uh, production stuff has uh, has gone out the window. I've still got uh, I've got one or two production bits. Oh, wonderful. Um, well, we'll get onto the three packs a bit later. We'll, we'll close it with that because obviously I think that's going to be the biggest chunk of the interview. Wanted to start with your earliest memories of when you first saw the films and the toys, uh, taking you back to your youth. Right. This. May or may not surprise some of you. I'm a real youngster. I was born in 83. So my first memories of the films uh, were probably when I was about four or five. And my older brother had some of the toys knocking around. I used to play with those. But um, I never really got into it properly. Um, I never you know, re- really played with the toys as much as probably my older brother did. I got into it later on when I was at secondary school, funny enough when things seemed to kick off again in the mid-90s, or early to mid-90s, really. And my mum is an antiques dealer, and so she introduced me to this idea of collecting, and she said, what do you want to collect? And naturally, the first thing that came into my mind was collecting Star Wars figures. And so we started going to uh, car boot fairs, and we used to go to the fairs at Chesson and, and you know, various places. There's a great place in Egham called the Twilight Zone and uh, a place called the Toy Box in Shepparton. I needed to pick up loose figures and uh, was trying to piece together a, a loose run at around the age of 12. And, uh, yeah, just kind of snowballed from there, really. So starting out in the 90s, um, obviously you're searching for those vintage items. Did you, at that point, Power of the Force 2 was coming out, did you uh, get into that as well and purchase any of that modern stuff? Yeah. Yes, for my sins, yeah. I mean, a few bits and pieces, but luckily I, I didn't spend a fortune on it. Uh, I didn't have a fortune. I was only, I was still at school, so anything that I bought was really with pocket money and birthday money. So, yeah, I certainly wasn't breaking the bank. And did that continue when uh, the Phantom Menace arrived? Uh, I hate to say it, but I actually picked up about 30 or 40 carded figures. we got friends who live in, in the US, and uh, they said oh, we're coming over, is there anything you want us to bring? And I said, oh, you know, load up a, a suitcase of these episode one carded figures. <laughs> well, they got they got stuck under the bed, probably like most people, in the vain hope that they might someday be worth something. Uh, I suppose they might be one day, but I, I don't know if I'll be around to see that. Um, and, yes, probably about nine years after I purchased them, they uh, they went very cheaply. <laughs> Uh, Chris, I remember the uh, I remember the Twilight Zone advertising in Model Mart. Oh, really? It was yeah, a great, yeah. Probably few people knew about it. But it was uh, it was good fun. Uh, what, what I'd be interested in is you know uh, as someone who's collecting back in the early nineties, 
Um, can you remember seeing many carded figures? I mean, pre-internet, like carded figures and box ships like you can today on eBay? Yes, yeah. I mean, definitely at shows like Chesson, um, you know, that was, you'd go in there and it was just wall-to-wall, um, loads and loads of vintage. I mean, at that point, I, I was paying less attention to it. I mean, I was I remember being awestruck by it, um, but I knew that it was so far out of my reach that, you know, it was just not worth thinking about so I was traipsing around there with my my brothers and my mum and uh, you know I was spending pocket money and birthday money on on loose figures and I remember really having to save and beg my mum for the you know the last 17 characters and you know the, the early days it was quite nice and fun you could you could spend five pounds on a, on a complete figure and then you know you're paying like 50 pounds for a yak base that was just like oh my god you know <laughs> beyond belief money so yeah it was it was interesting and uh, we certainly had to to work my way up to, to to buying a yak base and some of the harder to find figures um but yeah i remember seeing carded and boxed items but just thinking they're completely average the first funny enough the first carded figure i ever owned was a tri-logo prune face uh and i bought it from chesson i think and uh it ended up with blue tack on the back of it stuck to my wall Criminal, I know. I look back at it now, shiver, but at least it was a prune face. Yeah, they were hard to display back then without the star cases and the uh, acrylic there, cases. There, were, there was nothing there, and, you know, I, I used to prop it up, and then I just got fed up with propping it up, and I just stuck a bit of blue tack on it. So, yeah, sorry, everyone. Uh, did you uh, did you ever go to the uh, Jason Joyner uh, shows in Chesson? Yes, I did, yes. yeah. Really? Which ones did yeah. you go to? Uh... My memory is sketchy at best because this is probably when I was about 12. Uh, so I wouldn't be able to tell you names of them, but I certainly remember going to them uh, and buying off uh, a guy who, who no longer sells, I don't think, anymore, a guy called Adrian Cordry. Um, and he lived quite local to me. He lived in uh, in Walton. And so I used to see him at the shows, and then every now and then I'd, I'd pop around his house and, you know, I'd buy, buy a few things from him. Um I, I do have a bone to pick with him, though. He sold me a, a red cape bib fortuna when I was 12, and I'll, I'll never forgive him. Yikes. Yeah, it's, well, um, it, needless to say, it wasn't real. Yeah, um, more the fool me, to be fair. I, I went to one of those shows when I was a kid back in 1995, so it's really hard to think that maybe a really young version of yourself and myself might have, uh, might have been there at the same time. Crossed paths. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was the I was the freckly uh, freckly loser looking for um, looking for loose figures. I was the Welsh redneck child. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable, we didn't we didn't meet. <laughs> I was probably still holding my mum's hand there, to be fair, or looking through her purse to see what change she had for the next figure. <laughs> Chris, you became a member of the forum back in two thousand and ten. Now, um, how did you come across the forum initially, and how has it changed in time in the time you've been a member? Oh, uh, that's a very good question. How did I come across the forum? I think it was probably just Google searching. What happened is, obviously, I I put together a loose run when I was at school. I, I kind of completed it uh, just as I was leaving sixth form. And I took a break out of collecting for about three or four years. Uh, and during that time, obviously, I went off to university, came back and got myself a job and, you know, started started to get a bit of money coming in and I just thought uh, let's upgrade some of the loose figures and I started you know rebuying loose figures and buying box 
you know, bits and pieces and carded figures. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And I, I, I don't know, I just I stumbled upon, it, uh, upon the, the forum, really. Uh, it was not necessarily anyone introduced me to it. I just just one day, obviously, was 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 Googling and came across it and and, and decided to sign up. Um, in terms of how it's changed over the years, I mean, it's certainly been you see a lot of people come and go, um, you know, but then again, I don't play anywhere near as big a part on the forum as I, as I used to. I'm not anywhere near as involved. I don't comment half as much. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's been some great people on there. I remember Stu Bernsey and, uh, you know, I very rarely see Emil anymore, Cape Town, uh, on there. Obviously, Ed, uh, who was a very good collective friend, has, uh, has lost his way, should we say, in terms of collecting, but it's still, it's still well. It's still in touch with him. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to see people coming and, uh, and going. Obviously, there's a lot of new fresh faces on there and, uh, you know, it's it's just a great forum to be on though because it's it's got really good atmosphere. Everyone is is really friendly, uh, unless you're a one-time wonder poster or if you're trying to flog something which later goes to eBay. Um, it's 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 a it's a pretty comforting, you know, good homely feel to it. So that that's why it's my favourite forum. You know, I am members on, on the on the other forums, but it's not. I would say SWF UK is certainly home. If there ever was such a thing as a forum, is there, is there anything on the other forums that uh, you think they do better than Star Wars Forum UK? Uh, I suppose, you know, what would I consider as being better? I, I think you, you you get access to a wider range and, and certainly more of the top end items from the uh, items for sale section on RS. But uh, generally, I, you know. The people that are on there and, and some of the attitudes and some of the conversations, yeah, it, it doesn't really make you want to be a, a real active member. I think it's still a little bit of a an old boys club. Um, you know, there, there are some great guys on there, which is, you know, which is uh, a little bit of a shame. But I don't feel as comfortable posting on there as I do on SWF. So, no, it's um, it's got other things to offer, but for me... You know, uh, for for a chat and for for people, certainly SWF UK is is uh, is the place to be. I noticed on the forum back in April that you were selling one of your three packs to raise funds for your impending wedding. Um, massive congratulations, mate! When's the big date? <laughs> Thank you very much. It's the twenty fifth of October, so it's coming around very very fast. And that three pack is still for sale. And this is not me plugging it, but it's uh, <laughs> it's still for sale. <laughs> plug away, mate. Plug away. No, I'm 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 a little bit surprised it hasn't gone. I put it up for the Texas auction with a fairly high reserve, and you know, but uh, I thought, mm, well, maybe. You know, never know. I've seen some pretty ridiculous auctions on there, to be honest, over the last year or so. So I thought I'd try my hand, but no, it's still with me. I think you know, if it doesn't sell on eBay, then it'll just go back into the collection for a while, and I'll just have to have to stare at it. Uh, which one is it, Chris? It's the Series 2 Star Wars villain set, the one with Fett. Fett, Snaggletooth, and the Sand People. That's the one, yeah. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, it's a cool piece, but it's it's, it's one of those things, it's pretty much the, the last one that I bought, so, you know, and, and it's a production piece, so it's a little bit like, you know, last in, first out, if that makes sense, so... Well, we had a we had actually queried this because Ian uh, picked up this same set in our first episode, and we had this you know chat about why Snaggletooth was in the villain set instead of something like Greedo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, answer to that. 
Good question. No, not really. There's no, I don't think there's any real definitive answer. Probably looking to shift the extra units. But some of the some of the arrangements for the three packs is is completely haphazard. You know, there's some ridiculous things that go on in them. Uh, so, no, n- nothing really surprised me. You've got Chewie in the Android set, so that doesn't really make any sense. Um, who else can I think of on the top of my head? Um yeah, I mean, there's there's just some of the combinations, some of the names of them just just don't really make it a, a huge amount of set. Some of the villains are not, are not really villains. So. Um, yeah, it's, there's no real rhyme or reason to it, I don't think, Grant. Right, so let's let's move on to your collection as we just touched on it then. Um, and where to start? Most people start with obviously a loose collection, which you've just been talking about. Do you still have your loose collection? Sadly, the loose collection uh, had to go. Um, and I do miss it actually. There's 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 days when I when I miss the loose collection because I think it's just one of those things for like a, a nostalgic feel because obviously I was piecing it together from childhood. Although I replaced a lot of it um, later on, it's it's a bit of a rite of passage I think as a Star Wars collector. You know, I think probably nine out of ten people who collect Star Wars start with that loose figure on, I suppose because they remember playing with them as, as a kid or, or whatever. Um, and they just look great on display, but um, unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on which way you look at it, I was given an opportunity to buy uh, the white Empire Strikes Back prototype test package, and um, I didn't have the funds at the time. You know, I didn't, you know, want to be putting things on credit cards or doing anything like that. Um, so I just thought, you know, what have I got in terms of collateral that I could possibly get back at a later date, but also forfeit in order to get this this piece. And uh, unfortunately, the loose collection went on the shopping block and, yeah, they all, all got parted out on SWF. I think Jabberwocky, Jabber, uh, he ended up with a lion's share of the, uh, of the figures. And there were some lovely figures in there. I, hope, I don't know if you've still got any of them or, or, or what. They probably ended up all around the globe or, or whatever. But, yeah, that, that's what happened to it. Unfortunately, they're not with me. Do you think you'll ever touch on it again, or do you think that's it? Done with the lose. <laughs> I think it's like anything. I think if I bought one, you buy the rest here. That's it. You, you know, it just it goes from there, doesn't it? It's like, oh, I can't can't just have him sit on his own. Um, you know, it just, it just roll on from there. So, I'll, if if and when I do buy that that first loose figure again, I'll have to be careful because it, it could spell the beginning of of, uh, of collecting that that whole set again. So I'm taking it then from looking through your threads that the uh, the carded collection you posted up is also gone. Carded collection is also gone. Yeah. So when I uh, first started collecting carded, it was a little bit haphazard. There was no real rhyme or reason to it. I picked up bits and pieces that I liked that I thought were at a good price. But probably, let me think. Maybe after a year or so, I I came across a guy's limelight. And it just blew me away. It, what he was trying to do, or what he actually, in fact, did, was put together a run of every single figure on their debut card back, offerless and stickerless. And they just looked so clean, you know. And I know that people have a lot of love for, for some of the offers, and people like the ephemeral feel of the stickers, and, you know, harks back to some of the shops that they visited as a child. But there was something about the really clean cut look of the cards with no stickers, no offers. Um, that I really liked, and so I went down the path of of putting that uh, set together, and I think I got about uh, 70 cards in, possibly, uh, maybe a couple more, uh, and then 
yeah, I mean, things just started to snowball then for me in terms of the three pack collecting, and a couple of pieces came up, and I really I needed to raise you know pretty big funds, and so they they too went on the chopping block, and uh, that helped pave the way for for buying a couple of the bits that, that I've still got with me. I noticed in that collection of carded figures there was a Canadian carded yak face. Yes. Yeah, that came from a, uh, a well-respected, well-known forum member by the name of Gary Smith. I'm sure you both know. Why is that, sir? Can you tell the listeners why it's such a important piece? Uh, to have it in hand, I, mean, I, I didn't even ha- own it for that long. I probably owned it for a, about a year, I would say. Um, but it really is a, a special piece in hand because I think it comes with that that aura, doesn't it? That that legend. Everyone wants to have a yak face, you know, a loose figure first of all, and then you know, after you've got the loose figure, you start getting these lofty ambitions of, of, of owning a carded figure. And um, you know, I've had the Trilogo uh, yaks before, um, but the Power of the Force one is, is just you know, just that little cut above. Um, but the, the prices are now sky high. I wish I wish I hadn't sold it when I sold it. That's for sure. <laughs> I probably could have made twice, you know, done twice as much money on it, but I really enjoyed owning it. And and Gary was kind enough to, you know, to offer me a uh, a payment plan on it because I wasn't, uh, I didn't have loads of money at, at that time at all. So yeah, it was good. To, and then he finally we, we met up, and uh, yeah, he dropped it off to me, and I was I was tickled with it. It was really stunning piece. Is that something you've noticed a lot, Chris, uh, throughout the years, and you know, in, in fluctuation of prices? And uh, especially these days, with things like that, yeah. I mean, the, the Power of Force Yak Base, uh, you know, you, used to be a grand. You know, I would say that's that was a pretty standard price. If you, what I did with with uh, with Gary's one is I I sent it to Steve at UKG to get graded, um, mainly to you know as a preservation thing. I didn't want to send it to America. Power of the Force bubbles are, you know, notoriously bad and brittle, and the thought of it, you know, popping through the bubble on the way there or the way back, just, you know, I couldn't, I wouldn't, I couldn't live with that. That'd be awful. So I, uh, I gave it to Steve at UKG. He did a, a really nice job of grading it, um, and yeah, I, I ended up uh, selling it on probably about a year after that. I would have thought, but you know, the, the prices of them just go through the roof. I know that AFA graded ones do sell for more. Than the UK graded ones, but just generally they seem to to be sky high. Things like, you know, even though it's not that rare, the twenty one back fair now is just commanding ridiculous prices in comparison to you know its actual rarity. So you know things don't surprise me. I think it is it's all a case of you know legends, myth, demands, you know, uh, combination of factors really. But um, yeah, certainly certainly those sort of key pieces, those well known, uh, but also you know, very desirable pieces that does that, be going up. Does that go, because uh, the three packs, even back in the day, the three packs were always expensive, so does the same sort of rule apply to the three packs? That's a, that's a very good question, actually. Um, well, I mean, they were, they were expensive back in the day, but I suppose everything's relative, isn't it? Um, we've got I've got some lovely clippings from uh, who was it? Uh, I think it's it might have been Chris Jagulius's, uh toy scrapbook or something like that, uh, showing three packs for sale. And I think Scott Buchanan was, was selling some. And some of the prices back then, you know, you were, you, you, you'd be laughing. So, you know, the some of the trifecta sets were selling for like, I don't know, two, three thousand dollars. 
um, which in Yikes. compared to today is is nothing. Um, so yeah, obviously, but it's 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 relative, isn't it? And yeah, they have they have gone up in value. Some have gone uh, probably gone down in value, or, or pretty much stayed the same. So the, the slightly easier to find ones, like the creature set, you know, that's that's pretty much stayed around the same for as long as I can remember, um, because there just seems to be quite a few out there. Um, what else? The Bespin set, the Series 2 one, you know, with the one with uh, Ugnaught, Low Bottomed, Hand Solo, Bespin. You know, that, yeah. that one you, you, you can find fairly easy, um, and the price of that one is, is they largely the same. But some of the some of the other ones, they just fluctuate, because they, they, some of them hardly ever come up, and when they do come up, if there's a couple of people who are really after them, then, you know, the, the kind of people, unfortunately, that... Uh, <laughs> Buying three packs tend to have pretty deep pockets, um, and I, you know, value for money wise, some of them stand out as being much better value for money than others. But um, it's again, it's a question of demand versus supply, and people fight hard for them when they come up, especially those rarer sets. Back in the day, were they easy to find in shops? Were they quite commonplace? Uh, they were only available to department stores through what's called the department store program. So I suppose it was one way of maybe of, of Kenner buttering up and offering the uh, department stores something a little special that they could have on their shelves that maybe the, the little independent toy stores or, or whatever down the road wouldn't have. And, um, yeah, I expect it was a, a good ploy to try and uh, bundle figures together and, and, and maybe uh, shift a couple of extra units, but... Yeah, I can imagine them, them drawing people in. Uh, they've got a really strong visual appeal. They've got lovely graphics on the box. And, um, you know, I, I expect that the department stores were quite taken by that. And they they were fairly decent value for money, really, as well. So you'd be looking at, in the U.S., I think they retailed at about, around about $10. Um, you know, so that's that's not a huge amount, I wouldn't have thought, for three figures. Uh, depends out whether people wanted them on on the card backs or whether people were quite happy to uh, just have the, the loose figures and throw the three pack box in the uh, in the bin afterwards. Uh, ten ten dollars. Uh, mm, time machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny enough, there's a fantastic uh, little advert that Ryan uh, Blue Dog uh, forwarded on to me from Toltoys.com of some Australian three packs, and I think they're priced at eight dollars each. And uh, the mini rigs were, do- uh, were, were priced at uh, ten dollars each. <laughs> ah, you could get your ML- MLC three or uh, an MTV seven for ten bucks, but you could also get yourself, you know, the series two villain set for for eight dollars. So, yeah, definitely time machine in that case. Yikes! <laughs> um, is the is, am I right in thinking that the uh, Australian three packs is a sort of new discovery, or has everyone known about this for a long time? Well, it's it's a pretty new discovery. Um, you know, as a three pack collector, I didn't know a huge amount about it until I saw that advert from Ryan, that link, uh, and start. You know, I started looking around for it. But there's there's so little information, just about standard three packs on the on the web, and there's very few images of them uh, on the web, let alone you know obscure items like that. So the only bit that I could actually find was. An old post, I can't think exactly how old it was, but it was an old post uh, by a guy called Dax, who is a uh, an Australian collector. I think he, he, he lives in Oz as well. And uh, I think he's, he helps to run 
or, or, or maybe is, is the runner of tolltoys.com, on that site, there is a, an image of when it was recently discovered then, I think it was 2006, but don't quote me on that. He said it was a recently discovered uh, three-pack box, uh, and it was an empty box. The proof of purchase had been cut out. But the interesting thing about it is that the measurements on the back of the box uh, were obviously on the U.S. version, it would be three and three-quarter inch, uh, were all crossed out. <laughs> you know, the Australian guys uh, and, and Dax then started to think about, okay, well, if this has been found in Australia and the measurements have been crossed out, then there's obviously a chance that these were, rele- these were indeed released over here, uh, mm. so that corresponds with the advert, and that the measurements were crossed out because obviously in Australia they were using... Uh, the metric system, so therefore they couldn't actually have on the packaging three and three quarter inch. So that, you know, that was left as it was uh, for quite a while. And then, yeah, I was lucky enough through a friend, Bram, as well, who who initially spotted the the auction on uh, on eBay to come across this droid set, um, and uh, a guy was selling it in uh, in Europe. I think it was Belgium, and. Uh, you know, I realised what it was. Bram at the time said, you know, go for it, owe me a favour, I suppose. And then I purchased the set and, you know, that, that set's with me. But as far as I'm aware, that is, that is the only complete set in the world. So, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's quite strange the way that's, that's come about in terms of see, seeing the advert, then seeing that little bit on the website. And then it just, it hung because I don't really think about many other things apart from free packs and Star Wars flexing world anymore um, it just lingered in the back of my mind and when I saw it uh, I saw the back of the box I, I thought well, it's got to be so I, I went for it and, and luckily it paid off well you know you know, a few years ago there were very few true believers of the uh, Pally Toy Star Wars carded Vinyl Cape Jawa do you reckon <laughs> there's a, a possibility that just like Australia we could have had some of those three packs what over here you mean yeah, in the UK, is, is there a chance of that or any evidence? There's no evidence that I know of, uh, which is which is strange. But no, no one has ever mentioned seeing any in-store shelves. No one, you know, no one has ever mentioned having one over here as a kid. So I'd, I'd be very, very surprised. But I suppose at the same time, stranger things have happened. If it, if it did, then, wow, that would be a real revelation. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Chris, go, going back to the three packs, the, the production pieces that were made, have yeah. you owned all 16 packs? No, 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 no. Um, I've owned probably uh, just over half of them at various different stages. I mean, I'm sure you, you guys know this very well, that trying to put together a full set of 16 is, is an extremely difficult task. Um, you know, I'd argue that it's probably one of the uh, most difficult runs that you could put together. Um Considering there are only 16 of them, condition-wise, they're awful in terms of they they get damaged so easily, um, and quite often you see them, uh, you know, with ripped windows, with the flap, uh, you know, because they have the, the the cardboard flap at the back behind the box hanging down, uh, you know, crack bubbles, all, all sorts, and you know, there, there's just not not many of them that have survived particularly well. So I I started to rather foolhardily at the beginning put together what I thought was going to be a bit of a run uh, of them. But I'd also had interspersed with that a couple of pre-production bits. I, it, I came to a bit of a crossroads really in terms of looking at the things that I had 
and looking at the things that I wanted to try and get, I had to decide, right, am I going to go down the production route and try to put together a set of 16, or do I want to just carry on a few odd pre-production bits? And so I think my, my mind was made up at that point when uh, I was offered a, uh, a three-pack box flat, um, but also I think it was the, the Android, the, the Kenner Android uh, prototype set, the one that came from the Kenner employee. Uh, I was, you know, when those two came up, again, I had to raise some funds, so the production sets had to give way to the pre-production sets, and, and that was it really, that might... Once those sets had gone, my mind was made up. There's no, there's no real turning back. So I've just been trying to focus on the pre-production side of things, really. Uh, Chris, other, uh, in our first episode of Show Notes, we were debating this very question. Um, how many full sets do you think are out there? <laughs> uh, Rumoured to be about five, I think. Um, wow. Yeah, so... We, we got to three. We got to three. Yeah, yeah. well... You could well be you could you could be close to them all. I think there, there's there is at least three, uh, but there's I know at least two people who are one set away. So wow, okay, cool. I mean, they could they could have been completed by now, to be honest. So I I I, I don't know. The one the one thing I will say about free pack collecting, and like any fairly esoteric um, or high end area of Star Wars collecting, is that people don't really talk a great deal about what they're doing and what they're getting and what they're interested in, um, just because. It's pretty blooming, you know, cutthroat, and I hate to say it, it, it is. Um, you know, I missed out earlier on in the year to uh, on two sets from Japan. Uh, you know, the deal was pretty much done. We, we, we were almost there, and right from under my nose, uh, you know, they were gone. So it's it's sometimes, you know, just a case of money talks, and if you shout loudest, you, you get it. But it's also a little bit about who you know and how far you're willing to go in order to get them. So it's, it's, it's quite tough sometimes. Why did they never go on to make the return of the Jedi three-packs? Was there any early signs of pre-production on these products at all? There, there was indeed, yeah. Um, as to why they were never made, I don't know. Um, I would hazard a guess as to say that maybe the, you know, the demand was possibly waning, but you know, this, this, these were shown in the 1983 department store program, and we know that Obviously, we had the power of the force uh, line to come out after this. It could be that you know that this, the figure selection was just too random, or that the cost of making them was 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 a bit too much. But yeah, they did plan to release uh, at least two sets for the Return of the Jedi run. Um, and funnily enough, they were pictured in the 1983 department store program, and they were also uh, there's pictures of them in a very in, in an old 90s. Tomart's uh, magazine. There's, there's two lovely colour images, and ironically, they've got prices next to them. Uh, <laughs> so God knows how they managed to, you know, first of all find the pictures of them and then decide, okay, this is what they're worth because they were never actually produced. I think there was some, there was some mock-ups uh, done, uh, but there was never any uh, produced as such. Do you, do you know what the sets were? Who was in them and what they were called? I do indeed. So. Uh, First set was Akbar, Leia Bosch, and Chief Chirper. Um, although the Chief Chirper image in the department store catalogue is blacked out because I think they were at that time still trying to keep the Ewoks under wrap. It was a bit of a you know in-house secret, wasn't it? Um, how lucky we were that they kept that under wraps. And then the other set was Biker Scout, Emperor's Royal Guard, and Bib Fortuna. They're, v- they're very random combinations, aren't they? 
the beyond random. Yeah, but it goes back to that point that we were we were making earlier on. So the first set, Akbar, Leia Bosch and Chief Chirper, that was the rebel set. Yes, okay. Rebel rebelish, I suppose, fairly tenuous. <laughs> and then, then you've got the uh the Imperial set, which was the Biker Scout, uh Emperor's Royal Guard and Did Fortuna that so well, yeah, ra- random. Well Chris, I think you have to get these. <laughs> well, I would love to try and get hold of the mock-up boxes. <laughs> uh, honestly, you know, if they're out there, then you know, if anyone knows they're out there, please do get in touch. But uh, as far as I can tell, you know, nothing has surfaced of them. If they were to surface, then you know, they'd, they'd be right up there as as being some of the you know probably more more desirable of the pre-production stuff. Uh, but you know, I, I, I don't think they've survived to be honest. Um, the only one thing that I was one day hoping of, of doing is asking our, our friend Todd Osborne to, to possibly do me a little uh, mock-up box, Return of the Jedi box, and uh, you know have yeah. my own just for show. <laughs> well, they, they released the uh, Zekus and Tie Fighter pilot in the Empire Strikes Back Imperial set, so they were pretty. Uh, they were at the end of the Empire figures that they released, so they must have been quite close to them. Yeah, yeah, I would have thought so. I, you know, I'd love to find out why they, they didn't uh, produce them. Um, maybe, maybe they didn't sell a huge amount in the department stores. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe they weren't the big shifters that, that everyone was hoping for. And uh, and perhaps you know, when they were proposed and and offered out to the department stores, the department stores said, you know what, actually, you know, we've not made a fortune on them. Uh, they're a bit bulky. We don't want to stock them. So maybe they just didn't didn't run with it. I might be wrong on this because I I don't know too much about these, but didn't some of them have like a, a fold out photo backdrop? Yes, I did. Yeah. So uh, the only uh, sets that had those were the series two Star Wars sets. So uh, you've got the hero sets, uh, you've got the villain sets, you've got the creature set and the droid set, and all four of those came with a uh, a special offer backdrop. That was what the the special offer you know logo in the top right hand corner of the box. That's kind of what that alluded to, this this little backdrop, and the idea that you could stand your figures up in front of it and imagine that you were in Tatooine or, or, or you know, the Rebel Hangar. Um, you know, <laughs> they, they obviously thought they, they could do things that, that the kids' imaginations couldn't. But, um, yeah, they were just little bits of cardboard that, uh, you know, they had two folds, they folded out, and, um, yeah, you just propped your figures up in front of them. Uh, they were quite cool, um, but yeah, they, that was the only set, of, the set, you know, set of three packs that had them. Interestingly enough, though, the, the Empire Strikes Back Series One sets also had carried that special offer logo in the top right-hand corner, um, but no backdrops were included. So I don't quite understand what special offer, um, you know, Kenner were alluding to there. Um, because the kids actually didn't get anything different from from, from <laughs> nice. a standard three pack, it was just a, maybe a, either a clever bit of marketing or, or a lazy bit of um, you know graphics work where they just didn't remove it. I don't know. You decide. Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, when we're looking, we've got the the first series that came out. Was that was that in 1978? The villain 70, hero. Yeah, 78. That was the android set, the villain set, and the hero set. Okay, and then 79 then is the next Star Wars batch, the four with the uh, the special backing card. That's it, yeah. Brilliant, okay. And then uh, what about the next two years then, or oh, three years? Is it 1980 or 1981 for the next batch? So it's 1980, then 1981, and then 1982, and then obviously 83, they, they 
you know, folded on the on the Return of the Jedi ones. So um, the 1980, you know, the first wave of Empire Strikes Back sets, you had the Imperial Forces, Hoth Rebels and Bespin Alliance. Uh, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the ones that, that people go nuts for, even though there are other sets in the 16 that are as rare, uh, which is interesting. Um, so, you know, they're, they're commonly referred to as the trifecta, like the perfect three. Then you've got the second wave in 81, which is, again, the Imperial set, the Bespin set, and the Rebel set, and wave uh, wave three. They kept the names the same, but obviously changed the figures, so Bespin set, Imperial set, and Rebel set. Well, that's really strange, because you'd think, uh, you know, a lot like comics or something, where the first issues or the very last issues would be the super rare ones, but we have the, 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 the rare trifectas here are right in the middle. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, they're certainly the more sought after, you know, particularly, you know, the Bespin Alliance set, you know, that, that's, that's a big one. Most sets, you know, people are trying to complete the set, it often comes down to one of those three. Uh, more often than not, the Bespin Alliance set, but not, not completely. You know, in the second series, Empire Strikes Back set, the Rebel set with 2-1-B, Leia Hoth, and uh, the Rebel Commander, you know, that is a very tough set to get hold of. The third series Bespin set with C-3PO removable limbs, Ugnor and Cloud Car Pilot is a very difficult set to get hold of. Um, you know, there, there's some, some, some real challenges in there. Um, so that's, that's what I mean. It's, it's quite competitive for those, those sets in particular. And, and do you find that uh, buying and selling of these is mostly done privately? Yeah, except by me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know why. Um, I just tend, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't mind showing my, you'll find that with most three pack collectors, you won't see them in their collections. They won't talk about them in their, in their collections, but you know, more than for me, I, I'm quite open about, about everything with it. I, I like to try and share, you know, the knowledge and, and share what's out there with everyone else because, you know, yes, it's a fairly obscure, esoteric area of collecting, but it, it needn't be. You know, we've got other areas of collecting, and I think you just sometimes you need someone who's, who's just going to, you know, lay it all bare and, and show it off all out there. But you know, sometimes that comes back to bite you in the bum at the same time. Yeah, I think you're right, man. That's the way it should be. Well, I, I try. I certainly don't mind sharing, you know, sharing photos of my stuff and talking about, you know, bits and pieces that that I've got and, and that I know of. So. There, there was a, um, a state sale in the States, I believe it was in 2010, maybe 2011, and there was three three-packs from there that went for £30,000, uh, if you can remember that. I certainly can, yeah. It was, uh, no, I think it was a little bit more recent, that. it was 2012. Okay. And, yeah, the, the, the three of them came up, and it was just one of those things, you, you could wait a lifetime for an auction like that, and, uh, you know, you, certainly if you had the money, then... You would, you would have been writing for the chase. But it was three sets. They, they ended up at uh, an estate find. Someone, I think, passed away. And uh, these were in amongst a hell of a lot of stuff. Uh, some really nice bits. And, yeah, the three of them went on eBay. And they sold for, all three of them sold for $28,601. Um, <laughs> so that's about 18 grand to us Brits. Wowzers. Yeah, I know. So it kind of puts it into perspective. And, and they weren't in, you know, they were in very good condition, really, for, for three packs. But they weren't, you know, they, they weren't going to get you an, an FA85 or a 90 or anything like that. They were just solidly, you know, good condition, clean sets. Um, so, yeah, someone wanted them. And, uh, you know, 
in, in hindsight, they've actually got a decent deal. I know it sounds ridiculous to banding about that money, but um, it's, that's not a lot of money for those sets. So, so do you think uh, what, what we're looking at is there sixteen three packs out there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And if you had, you know, in decent condition, do you reckon you could hit the hundred thousand mark for a full set? We're talking dollars or pounds now. Uh, dollars, I was thinking actually, because we were talking about dollars. Yeah. But do you yeah. think it'd reach a hundred thousand dollars? Yes. Yeah. Wowzers. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, to give you an idea, I, I know of, uh, you know, from those uh, trifecta sets, it's not uh, unheard of. We've heard of uh, really nice condition AFA 85 sets selling for $20,000. Yikes. Yeah. So, you know, you put put that together for the first three of the Empire Strikes Back run, you know, you're, you're over 50000 there. So, yeah, I, I'd certainly say if not 100000 then then certainly pretty damn close to it so all the more reason why i didn't go down that route <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I might stick to ewok return of the jedi carded figures for the time being yeah it's like it's eye-watering really and to be totally honest with you i i've been very fortunate in the, in the pre-production bits i've picked up in that i've paid a lot less than you know some of the prices that people are paying for the production sets. so you know work that one out it doesn't make any sense to me were all 16 sets released in Canada? Uh, no, that's a good question as well. Um, no, they weren't. You had the uh, first, obviously, the, the, the two waves for Star Wars. Okay, so that's seven sets. And then you had the, uh, the two waves for Empire Strikes Back. But the third wave, no examples have ever turned up uh, from that third wave. So whether they knocked it on the head after the first uh, two Empire Strikes Back waves, I think they probably did, but again, it's a bit inconclusive, really. No, no sets have turned up from, the, from that third wave, but the Canadian sets are a whole different ball game in terms of rarity. You know, they, the US, some of the US sets are, are, are really tough to find, but the Canadian sets are virtually impossible to find. Was there was there any um, obvious differences between the Canadian and the US sets? Yeah, so obviously they had to accommodate the bilingual um, translation, so they had all of the English uh, text and then Underneath it, they would have to have the, the French uh, translation. So on the back of the set, you've got the, the English version and then you've got the French version. But that meant, you know, space was at a real premium on the back of the set. So whereas they used to advertise three sets on the back of the, uh, of the uh, three packs, they could only then get two sets on the back. So, um, yeah, that, that's a, a difference. Um, the other thing is that on the Empire Strikes Back sets, for some strange reason, uh, certainly the first series sets carried the the long play logo, which um, you know we're all aware of being featured on the really early sets, the, you know the really early card backs and, and whatnot. Um, but for some reason that that made it onto uh, you know a, a series one Empire Strikes Back set. Um, and the only other thing that's worth mentioning is that underneath the nameplate of the sets uh, on the US versions there was a little description, so you know something like you know this. Band of uh, you know, band of uh, troublemakers cause issues amongst the universe. Something really cheesy like that. Um, and then on the Canadian set, that was gone, I suppose, because then they would have had to translate that as well. So it, it was just space. You know, space was the issue really with those. But yeah, there was some interesting packaging uh, differences on them. In the stores, how did they display these? Were they on hangers? Because I see you've uh, you've obviously got a box flat. How would they have been displayed back in the day? I suppose you did find them on hanger tabs. They did have a hanger tab, um, but the you know 
I've, I've recently picked up that three-pack store display box flat, and that was meant to house three packs, three wide and three deep. So you'd get nine sets in one of those trays. Um, but they, you know, I didn't really know they existed until about a year ago. Um, they, they really are very, very tough to find. Uh, you know, in terms of store displays, and you know, there's some really tough store displays out there to find. But that's the first example I've ever seen uh, turn up. So I was really chuffed to, to get hold of that. That seems really cool with collecting these three packs. Is there still, you know, so much to discover with them, and there's still trickles of information coming your way? I think that's brilliant. You know, I, I'd like to think I know. A, you know, now as a result of buying that box flat, there's a chromalin out there uh, for the box flat. You know, and I'd, I'd absolutely love to get my hands on on that and, and put it together with the with the box flat and put it with the rest of the pre-production run. So, yeah, that's it. You, you know, you find sometimes you just find something and then you find something else out, and it just it just leads you on, doesn't it, down down that road, and that's what keeps it interesting. Do you know if there's any bell displays or headers or anything like that? Not that I know of. No, no, that's the only bit of uh, store display stuff that that I'm aware of. But again, that that wouldn't really surprise me. I don't think these were, uh, you know, they weren't huge. It was only, like I say, it was only open to certain department stores. So I don't know if if, uh, if they would have had a massive outlay on on big advertising campaigns for the three packs. Probably not. But again, would love would love to see something of that. But I, I don't think it's out there to be honest. Yeah, well, you never know because you know I think it's about two or three years ago they finally discovered the early bird header display. Uh, yes. I think it exists, so you never know. Hmm? Is that the pole display? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You never no, know. I mean, you just don't know. Someone, someone may, you know, be, you know, digging around and, and, and find something. So yeah, that's why it's important to keep looking. Were any um, DT sabers ever put into these sets? Uh, no, uh, not that I'm aware of. Anyway, uh, well, imagine that the Ben Kenobi. <laughs> the, the only chance that you would have found uh, something like that is probably in the Kenner employee prototype sets uh, because they would have been the only things that would have been early enough, I suppose, uh, in order to, to house them. Um, if they're going to be anywhere, it'll be in those sets. Now, I know uh, a fellow collector and, and friend has got the, the set of three in prototype form and you know he, he's never mentioned it and I, I'm sure he would mention it if he knew they were there. <laughs> You know, uh, Chris, looking at some of the Star Wars sets, even if you look at the first 12, we've got Ben Kenobi uh, in two packs, but no Jawa and, and no Luke Skywalker. You know, a bit strange that, isn't it? Where's the Luke Farnboy, love? I mean, he, he should have been, you know, we should have had, uh, should have had Luke Farnboy in there, to be honest. Um, I, I, like I say, I don't know. They were the only two that were, that were omitted, really, from the first 21 lineup. Uh, so I just don't understand why they weren't in there, but. There was, there was obviously a reason. Maybe, um, maybe the jowls, jowls were often bundled off with lots of other stuff, though. Um, you know, they, they end up in giveaways in sand crawlers, and uh, uh, I've even seen, uh, you know, they, they obviously had lots of mail aways. Luke, I suppose, was given away in the early bird, and lots of other mail aways and things like that. So I don't know. Maybe they weren't weren't necessarily needed those units to to be shifted. I don't I don't know. It's a funny one why they're not in there. Yeah, I guess every kid's uh, f- first figure they wanted was a Luke Skywalker. I bet it was a big seller. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I bet I bet um, they didn't have too many issues selling selling those. But you know, 
it's uh, it does it does make me think why. Out of all the packs, which one's your favourite? Oh, uh, it's got to be the Bespin Alliance. Uh, it's something about that that green background and. Uh, Luke Bespin is, is you know, a favourite character of mine. Um, he's, he's a pretty cool-looking customer. Um, and I also really like uh, this Series 3 Bespin set, uh, which I did use to own, but, again, that, that that's went a couple of years ago. That's the one with Cloud Guard Pilot, Ugnaught, of all people, and C-3PO. The Bespin Alliance set, was it always the uh, white Bespin Guard? Or did you ever see the black... Always white, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, never seen one with a black Beskin guard. Right, well, I'm starting to wrap this up because of the length of this, but I'm, you know, <laughs> scratch the service, we could probably talk to you all night. But uh, just a couple of other bits and pieces I'd like to touch. If I could hand you one production piece right now and one pre-production piece right now, what would you choose? Ooh, fantastic question. Uh, one production piece right now. Uh, yes, you could give me the Beskin alliance, that'd be great. You are going to do it, aren't you? Yeah, granted, he'll treat you. Uh, working on it, mate, working on it. Might take some time. Working on it, okay. Let me, let me know when you're there, all right. And uh, pre-production-wise, what would I love to get my hands on? Uh, yeah, I would like the Chromalin for the, the three-pack uh, store display. I'd also like a Chromalin for the um, for the Series 3 sets. I know there's a couple of those out there. Yeah, e- either of those would be great. Uh, Chris, you have a, a sample pack, don't you? Am I right? I do. I've got a quality control sample um, uh, for the Series Two Bestman set, and then I've got the the white prototype package for the Series Three sets. Uh, the QC sample. Would you count that as a pre-production item? No, I don't think we can really class it as a, as a pre-production item because it, it, it was effectively in production as it was pulled off the line in order to be marked with the QC sample. But you know, in terms of rarity, it's easily as rare as any production item is the only one that's that's known in the world so uh, really yeah there's wow there is one other qc sample out there but that's for the star wars creature set um but apart from that that they're the only two that are known so it's one of each just a couple of final questions then chris if the world was about to explode and you're all being moved to another planet and you can only take one piece of your collection with you what piece would you be taking uh yeah that just because it's so iconic and odd looking it'll be the white test package it's just so alien it's i love the way it's got no print on it it's just it's it's great wonderful and finally earlier on this podcast in the intro we were discussing um the three packs ourselves uh, knowing you were coming on and we all decided to design our own three pack where we chose three figures that we wanted in it and to name it um i'll put you on the spot now if you were to make your own three pack up which three figures and what would you be calling it just go something like the, the dungeon set or something like that. Maybe you could have a 88, EV99 and, and one of Jabba's goons, something like that. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Um, maybe, maybe a tortured droid would be the third one, stood between 88 and EV99. That'd be pretty grim. Well, Chris, it has been absolutely brilliant talking to you. I'm sure Grant would agree. Um, it's been brilliant having you on. And like I said, I think we've only scratched the surface, so I think we <laughs> need to be continued... Uh, in the future at some point. I'll be more than happy to, to chat again about it. I really appreciate it. It's good, good to chat three packs. I, I rarely ever do, so, um, yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, Stu, I think we need to put a disclaimer at the beginning of this interview to tell people to have a pen and paper by the ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's plenty more in store, honestly. If you, if you ever feel you like you want a, another chat sometime, then please do feel free. I'll be more than happy. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. Thanks so much, Chris. No worries, Grant. No worries, too. That's great. Yeah, really, really appreciate it.
Carpenter stock, vintage 12-back Star Wars figures, do you? No, sorry. No, no, I didn't think so. Not even a 70-back Clarton, Return of the Jedi card. No, no, I didn't think so either. What about Chief Chirpy, with or without his hood? Chief Chirpy? You just made that up. Get. Good old yellow pages. Only there now to help with the nasty things in life, like swatting a wasp, or providing weight to keep those old card bags flat when you eventually get them from the loft. If you want to talk vintage Star Wars collecting, Get yourself over to www.starwarsforum.co.uk Okay, welcome to the third episode of the event section. As we are actually recording this, we have a run of conventions to report on for next month. We have, you know, part of our podcast crew will be at Star Wars and Science Fiction Fantasy Conventions in Western Supermare, Romford, Cardiff and London. So hopefully uh, we'll be able to report back from our experiences there. And this will include our celebration at Fathers from, is it 6, I believe? Yeah, Fathers from 6 on the 27th of July. So we'll have plenty to discuss next month, as well as hopefully some more interviews. Ben, your curry night, would you like to put a plug in for that one? I think it might be a bit too late by the time this comes out, but uh, if you're listening to this, it'll probably be a few days before Farthest From. The chances are if you're not in, you're not going to be able to get any space now, but we've got currently 16 people who are coming for a curry to take over the Raj of India in Fording Bridge. Meet up in the pub beforehand for a drink and then head down there and it should be a good night. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a really good one. Myself, uh, Mark Newbold of Jedi News and Rich are going to be doing a panel at Fathers from Six this year. Uh, Rich, do you want to talk about what you're going to be discussing? Yeah, Grant, I'm going to be talking about the vintage um, Star Wars novels, as listeners of the show will know. I'm just going to start off by looking at uh, the Journal of the Wills, you know, the original prequel to Star Wars, or the few pages that came before. I've then got a section titled An Old New Hope, because it's like the New Hope, but what it was, you know, in the early days of what uh, George created. I'm going to look very, very briefly at Splinters of the Mind's Eye and the Hard and Solo Adventures. I don't want to go through plots because if anybody's interested in that, they can read the book. So I'm just going to pull out some interesting facts about the authors and how they got the contract to write those novels. Some of the characters that's in there that are a bit fun. And then go, I've got a section entitled The Empire Strikes Back and Luke Finds a Depressed Yoda. Now, before I go any further, anybody know why I've put that in there? Luke Finds a Depressed Yoda. Anyone? Yeah, I'll, t- I'll take that as a no. The reason is because Yoda is blue in the original novel. So we've got a blue Yoda, so, you know, I thought a little bit of a joke there. After that, I'm looking at the Lando adventures, although I've entitled them Lando Saves Universe three times because, you know, he's pretty much Superman's super, super fantastic guy. He just saves everything. Uh, I think each, each of those three, three stories are virtually the same. And then looking at Return of the Jedi, how it's nicely wrapped up the, the full trilogy. And then I put All Has It, because there, there are some things in Return of the Jedi uh, novel that directly contradict 
what we now know in the prequels. So I thought it would be uh, interesting to cover those areas of what George initially envisaged between 77 and 83. Okay, wonderful times. Doesn't the entire prequels contradict the original trilogy? Never mind, never mind, never mind. No, that sounds interesting there, uh, uh, Rich. Well, cool as well that we've got Mark Newbold on the panel, huh? From uh, Jedi News. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm really looking forward to what Mark's talking about. I believe he's looking at some of the monthly Empire Strike Backs comics. Is that correct? Yeah, Mark will be dis- uh, discussing the 12-issue run of the classic Empire Strikes Back uh, UK monthlies. He's also going to be talking about the stories and the artists. Um, uh, he's had an opportunity to speak to people who are actually working in Marvel UK at the time. These comics were produced, so I'm really looking forward to that. I'll just be discussing collecting Marvel comics and give a few insights into what Marvel comics can tell us about the uh, Star Wars collecting. So that's going to be exciting. Also at Father's From, the Star Wars Collectors Archive podcast is going to be doing a live link. Fingers crossed uh, that that will be working. As well as uh, Aston's auctions will also be making a, an appearance to discuss their upcoming auctions. Also, it'd be a great opportunity there to pick up some of Dave Tree's uh, convention exclusives, like his uh, flock figures. I know he's doing again. I believe the Gamorian Guard is is coming up this time. And uh, he's also included a Star Wars from UK podcast trading card, our very first collectible. How cool is that? Whoa, did you see a Star Wars from UK trading card? I mean, mind-blown. So that's the first of any kind of collectible set that uh, is going to appear on the market and be worth thousands in about five years' time. Yeah, do we sign it? I mean, should we sign it? It should be front and centre of all collections, you know. For anybody <laughs> makes a joke, <laughs> I am not paying any money for bloody signatures, <laughs> all right? You, I could have got a free room, you know, 30 <laughs> quid for a room. Surely, I mean, I'm worth the same as David Prowse, so, you know. Exciting stuff. I'm going to go into the uh, upcoming conventions a bit later, but first of all, we have the final part of our original fathers from interviews and first up is gary mancini okay guys i'm here with uh, gary mancini gary how would we know you in the star wars world uh well i'm currently the uh writer and director of a forthcoming documentary called binding the galaxy together and oh excellent how is the uh documentary coming along well we've been shooting over the last two years we've interviewed all different kinds of people star wars actors collectors costumers um and there's a long long way to go we've got a lot more to do because there is such a diverse star wars fandom brilliant so do we have any uh release date in mind or initially we were planning to go for april next year but because there is a lot more to do um we are looking now probably closer to the release of episode seven so around december 2015 Excellent. And how would how would that come out on a DVD or a Blu-ray or a download? Or? Well, we're currently looking at the, the avenues that we can do with that. I mean, depending on how the documentary ends up in the final edit, it might be quite nice to see if we can get a brief cinema release. If not, we might be talking to television stations, first of all, to see if maybe Channel 4 or uh, Sky or somebody like that might want to broadcast it when the movie comes out, um, just to tie in. Uh, but yeah, eventually, yes, Blu-ray, DVD, download, all of those. Wow, that... That sounds like it's going to be really exciting. Uh, television or a cinema release would be incredible. I think a limited cinema release would be fantastic, yeah, especially if we can get a lot of fans together at the same time watching it for a premiere. That would be fantastic. Isn't that there's a, a cinema in London, the Prince Charles, that does yes. that kind of thing? So maybe that would be an avenue to look at. But... That's right, yeah. Prince Charles is a fantastic cinema for that kind of thing. So um, who, who have you been interviewing? Is there, have you got any of the actors or cast from the films? We do. We, we've only had a few at the moment, but we've had... Uh, um, we got a fantastic interview. I, can't, I don't want to spoil anything about the documentary because we've got some fantastic stories in it. We want you to see them firsthand. But we've interviewed uh, Paul Blake, who, of course, famously played Greedo 
Um, Did he shoot first? He gives an answer on that, which, oh, I, which I won't give you right now, but he does, he does have his own defined answer on that. Yeah, uh, We did a, uh, an interview with Femi Taylor, who played the lovely Ula, and um, I must say that Femi Taylor looks fantastic. She hasn't aged a bit. She hasn't aged at all. No, no great DNA. Just, exactly, exactly. She's still as beautiful as she ever was. Amazing. And um, uh, do you, are you uh, a collector yourself? I am, yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, modern, vintage, anything in particular? I, I, yeah, I, I kind of, I started with, um, obviously I started with the vintage when I was a child, so I had the stuff then, but um, I, I did what everybody else did, which is take the stuff off the card. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then I stopped collecting as um, it got around around 1984. It was at the end of Jedi, all the stuff was coming to an end anyway, and I stopped collecting then, and I started getting into music and um, working in a music store. And then... Um, I think the figures, the power of the, were they power of the Force 2 or something, yep. figures they were called, but they came back around 95 and I picked up again then and I did try to get everything that was out, but it's just snowballed and there's too much now. So I started to cut back on my collection and I am now, yes, going after some of the vintage figures. Brilliant. Anything in particular? I like Han Solo and Chewbacca. So oh, anything okay. Han Solo and Chewbacca, I will try to get those. I really want to get a small-headed Han Solo on a Star Wars card. Wow. Um, I've got one which is um, hanging off the card. It's not properly sealed, so I'd like to get proper, solid, sealed. And is that uh, Paddy Toy or Kenner? Or? To me, it doesn't matter. No? Yeah, as long as it's just that character. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not either Paddy Toy or Kenner um, uh, affiliated either way. So. Do, you, do you prefer the small head or the large head? Hand? I prefer the small head because it's the one I had. Ah, amazing. Yeah, it's the one I had when I... When I was a child, I never had the, the large head one. Actually, I think the large head one was kind of ugly. Yeah, but yeah, it's a bit out of proportion. Um, do you have any uh, fond vintage memories from your childhood? Um, I, have the, I have a very strange memory of, actually, where we're sat right now, this table reminds me of it. Um, going to see Star Wars at the cinema. Now, most kids will go to Star Wars and they oh, I remember the Death Star Trench and I remember the lightsaber battle and Tusken Raiders. My stupid memory of seeing Star Wars for the first time is being sat in the cinema and when they're holding the Death Star conference and they've got Tarkin and Motti and all of those sat around the table and because I was so small and because the screen was so large I felt like I was at that table <laughs> and Brilliant. that is my memory of Star Wars it's unusual but that's the way that I remember it but, but no, uh, no Tarkin figure no, not until recent times. Yeah, yeah, that was a big miss, I thought. Very much so, when you had some of the other figures, which were very strange. Like you had um, uh, Star... What was his name? He was eventually called Star Destroyer Commander. Uh, and his Death, Death Squad, Squad Commander. Commander as well. You know, you'd think Tarkin would come over the top of that, wouldn't you? So, uh, Gary, if we're gonna, just, to, just to wrap up here, if anyone finds a small-headed Han Solo on a Star Wars card or wants to find out about your, your film and... Yeah. Uh, where, where would we be able to contact you? You can email me at info at mancinipictures.com. Excellent. And just tell me that you'd like to be involved in the documentary. We are always looking for fans to take part. So especially if you've got an interesting story, something unique about being a Star Wars fan, please do get in touch. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely spread the word about that, Gary. And thank you so much for taking the time to uh, speak to us today on our first ever podcast. Thank you very much. Well, just like Gary's been saying, uh, he's been filming it for two years already. We may have a release in December 2015 to coincide with episode seven. Fingers crossed there. Um, if you want to get involved, info at mancinipictures.com. Uh, give, give Gary a shout and uh, you never know what's going to happen. Brilliant stuff. And our final interview from Fathers From was Wayne Streak. So let's listen to that one. 
Okay, guys, I'm here with Wayne Streak. Uh, Wayne, are you enjoying uh, Fathers From so far? Yeah, fa fantastic day. Now you've, uh, you've, ever. you've got a stall here, haven't you? Yes, yes, got a stall, selling some bits and bobs on the day and uh, seeing some old faces and some new. I, uh, I, I did notice there was a, a few Palitoy carded figures on that stall as well. Absolutely. Very nice. Yes, yes, Palitoy is obviously where we've all generated from um, and our passion. Now, Carol told me that the Death Squad commander on the Palitoy card is going for £30. Is that right? Um, afraid not. No. <laughs> no, I'm afraid Carol might have got that a little wrong. Ah, right. Um, no, obviously, the, 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 these toys hold their prices really well. So, um, you know, each year the price goes up, unfortunately. <laughs> See, in my last interview, I told uh, Lee Bullock that it was £30. I think he's gone over to your store now. <laughs> no, I'm up here. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, good, good work. Always good work. <laughs> <laughs> and a, a cracking IG88 on the Tri logo. You don't see many of them. No, you don't. No, and um, and it does stay from event to event. There's quite a price tag on it. So um, yeah. How, how much around about would we be looking at something like that? Uh, I think it's about six hundred. Is that now? Wow. Yeah. So um, yeah, quite expensive. See, I remember back in the '90s where people just didn't bother with Tri logo because they had trashy bubbles, and you know, people were buying Kenner Return of a Jedi and. The tri logos would go for half the price of a you know a Jedi card mm. figure or something. And no, absolutely. But I think now nowadays that you know everybody has got pretty much their their collection that they want to get. So now it's looking for the things that you know a lot of people haven't got, and and the actual quality of the merchandise doesn't really come into question now on some things. It, it's just a case that that's something that I haven't got for my collection, and and we need to have it. So um, yeah, quality on some of the toys now doesn't really matter too much. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that uh, some people are picking up reseals on the Pally Toys because mm. you just, they don't exist in the numbers. No, no, absolutely. Um, the, I think the trend of the market for toys is, is certainly over the sort of last five, ten years is, is picked up. So, um, you know, as well as people wanting those, those original carded sealed figures that, you know, they had ten years ago, now all the lines that, that are on these stalls, you know, people, people want these things. So, um, yeah, the, the market's open for, for anything now. So, so, so how long have you been a, a collector for? I, I, I use the word collector very loosely. Um, my, my collections have started and stopped and, and varied from Marvel to DC to, to Star Wars to Doctor Who um, and lately to Walking Dead. So <laughs> my collections are never complete and, and some of them start and then stop very quickly once I realise how much there is to collect. Um, so yeah, I've collecting since I was about 10. Wow. Um, still got some bits from then um, and trying to find the bits that I did have now as, as being an older man. <laughs> if, if, it, if the guys who are listening to this, if there's any item out there that you are desperately seeking, uh, what would that be? Uh, personally, I, I think it, it's not necessarily a, a certain item for me. Um, it's certain characters. Um, I'm, like I say, I mean, right now I'm majorly into The Walking Dead, so anything and everything Walking Dead, I'm collecting. Amazing. Um, but if we go back to the old days, I still love my 18. You know, there's still certain parts of the 18 that I haven't got. Um, I'm still looking for my original Street Hawk that there was a certain amount made and, and they've just disappeared off the face of the planet, so I'm looking for my Street Hawk stuff still. Um, so yeah, there, there's, a, there's a huge amount of things and, and some people have these things in their lofts and don't even realise they have them and so it, it's, it's nice to keep searching for these, for these things that we, we all love. Well, on the Star Wars forum we notice a lot of people seem to have 
Pali toy, vinyl cape, Jawas in their lofts as well, but it, it doesn't seem that they're actually really the real thing. No, I mean, there's very, many variations, and, and some people get excited over, over the, the Jawa cape um, figure, but obviously we... Um, we know that there's a lot of counterfeit items that have been brought out and, and some that are certain specs that, that aren't there. So it's the quality and, and knowing, knowing your figures, I think, that we all need to sort of concentrate on, really. Absolutely. Now, you, you're actually throwing an event. Is it, am I right in saying in October? And this is the third time? Uh, October 4th and 5th in Totten, Southampton. Um, it's DEFCON 3. DEFCON um, 3. We're expecting sort of around about 8,000 people. Wow. Yeah, um, and it covers the whole sci-fi TV and film genre, um, from Star Wars to Doctor Who, um, Red Dwarf. Um, we got some guests from Space Precinct, which was one of my favourites in the 80s. Um, and it's a big family fun day, so all the kids come, and we have all the things like the bouncy castles and the face painting as well. Um, but the specialists, there's, there's a market for them as well. So it's over two days across five halls. Um, we take over Totten. And if you come into Totten and you're not quite sure where it is, then just look for the 35-foot marshmallow man that we've got right outside our main hall. Awesome. And you won't miss us. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. As, are there any Star Wars guests this year? Uh, we've confirmed Dave Proud, so Brilliant. he's there for both days. Um, we've got Pam Rose coming down. Brilliant. Um, Alan Florence coming down. Um, there's there's many others, and obviously, if you want to check out what, uh, our email address and see who's exactly coming, this will be updated as we go along. Okay. Um, then go to nerdageddon.co.uk, and all the details will be on there. Brilliant. Um, what we'll what we'll uh, do, Wayne, is closer to the event. Maybe we can get you on the podcast again and Absolutely. start talking about the event. Let's push it, promote it, and hopefully we'll have uh, loads of friends come down there and make a weekend of it. Fantastic. Yeah, it'd be great. Wayne, thank you for Lovely. taking the time to speak to us today. Many thanks. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Many thanks there from Wayne Streak. He's a father's from regular. As he said, DEFCON 3 is coming up on the 4th and 5th of October in Totten, Southampton. And obviously go to nerdageddon.co.uk for all the details. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Okay, the final part now of our event section, uh, the upcoming conventions. Um, if you type any of these names into Google, you'll find their Facebook page, and uh, hopefully you guys will find some vintage goodness out there. Uh, first up on the 9th and 10th of August, we have Heroes and Legends in Margam Castle. There's four Star Wars guests appearing there. On the 22nd to 23rd of August, we have Charfest in Bournemouth, which has three Star Wars guests. 23rd to 24th of August is Collector Mania in uh, Brahead Arena in Glasgow with seven Star Wars guests. One for you there, Rich. 30th to the 31st of August, the Sheffield Film and Comic Con at the Moot Point Arena. That's got uh, four Star Wars guests there. And on the 6th of September, we have Night Con, Stars, Cars and Heroes at Doncaster Racecourse. So, uh, yep, a few events still to come this year. Good stuff. Star Wars fans, Ben aka Mr Shifter here. Just a quick reminder that we at the podcast love to chat. Our email address is swfukpodcast at gmail.com. We welcome any comments or feedback that you have about the show, as well as anything else you want to chat about. We can also be found on Twitter at SWFUK Podcast, as well as on Facebook, SWFUK Podcast.
Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Right, and now on to this month's forum roundup. Rich is starting off with the first thread, a thread put up by Paul Carf, and it was entitled Reuniting Star Wars Goodies with Original Childhood Owners. Rich? Yeah, I really like this story. I think this one's going to appeal to every single member of the Star Wars communities. Paul Carf put up a photograph of a Star Wars helix white Princess Leia pencil case, which Grant covered in our very first podcast. He basically said that he was given this pencil case along with some other Star Wars goodies from a friend of his who'd grown up and moved out of his home and his mother was just looking to pass the toys on and I'm sure we're going to all relate to this. Now, Paul opened the pencil case quite recently and saw that it had his friend's name written inside the pencil case together with a school class, which I think is absolutely brilliant. So you can just imagine somebody's name and the class... Think of the pride that that person had when they first were given this pencil case, although perhaps with it being a Princess Leia one, it would be a bit strange. But imagine the pride that this person had when they opened their pencil case and they wrote their name in. Think back to the first, you know, when you go back to school in September and you had everything new and nice and neat. So Paul's tracked down the parents of um, said friend and he's managed to get an address and he's, he's sent the pencil case off to his, his old friend and he's waiting for a response. And since then, he's also found a Millennium Falcon, I believe, for another friend that was given to him. So he's going to track the owner of that down as well and pass his Falcon on. So I, I think it's an absolutely wonderful story. So I obviously, as you do, I think back to, well, where did my collection go to? And I know that when I got a little bit older, He-Man captivated me. Not not so much Transformers, but I had, I had a few little Transformers items. But He-Man definitely took over for Star Wars for me. But... I think back at the time, I still had the He-Man and the Transformers running side by side for a little while. And then the ZX Spectrum came out and then everything changed once I got my Spectrum. And I know that my collection was just boxed up and sent to friends of some relatives. I did contact them, oh, it was about six years ago now, asking, you know, did did they still have it? What did they do with it, etc., etc.? And they told me that once they had grown up, it all went off to charity. But I would love to have, you know, got some of that back from my childhood, just like what Jess found in his attic. I'd love to go into their house or perhaps my relative's house and just have a rummage around and just to see if there's anything at all survived. So a really, really good, feel-good story. So just a general question, and I'm going to chuck out to you there. What happened to your collection and have you tried to track it down if it's at all possible? So I'll start that one with Peter because you've been a bit quiet tonight. Um, I sold lots of mine to one of my best friends. I think he, his dad still might have it in his loft somewhere in the middle of Hinkley in Leicester. So uh, I have asked him if he's got it and he said that it could be in boxes. So I have, uh, over the years, I've kind of lost touch of them anyway. So I might better get it back. I don't know. I don't know if I really want to, to be honest with you. I, I had mine right up to 2004 when I bought my first house with my wife, and she sold it on eBay. Divorce, divorce, <laughs> get her out. 
Um, one thing I wouldn't mind saying about this, Fred, is it's a lovely story, but I have this horrible feeling that the bloke he sent it to might be open up his package at home and think, what is this crap I've been sent? And bin it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Paul wasn't stupid enough just to send it. I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure he's put a note in there just to see, remember this or something along those lines. Yeah, I remember that. Charity shop. Yes. It is possible. Grant, you got any memories? Uh, I've still got all... Um, my actual loose collection is my childhood collection. I managed to pick up some weapons uh, that I was missing. In fact, pretty much all the weapons I was missing and finished off my loose collection in Christmas 95. Yeah, my loose collection is not AFA 90, it's my childhood collection, and uh, it means a hell of a lot more to me than, uh, you know, AFA 90 or whatever. Damn right. Good answer. Ben? Um, I car booted mine. It was a bit random, really, because this particular car boot sale, or the one that I remember selling a great deal of my loose uh, stuff at, was it was a car boot sale that I sold a load of junk, and I'd spent all day selling it, and it, it, most of it had sold, to be fair. So I had a load of money left over. I went looking for other stuff, and I found a guy who was actually selling Star Wars mocks. And I ended up spending the entire proceeds of my day's car booting on six mocks that basically started my mock collection off. Because prior to that, every figure that I'd got, I'd just basically torn off a card and I was a kid. So I played with them. This must have been when I was about probably 13 years old, 14 years old, clearing out all my old toys. It's just a bit random that I sold my my vintage collection, my actual own original vintage collection, and ended up taking home six Star Wars mocks that day, which I suppose has, has uh, kept going on to where I am now. Right, and moving on now, we're going over to Grant, who's been looking at a simply sci-fi thread named Memories Needed for My Star Wars Book. Yeah, this is uh, this is actually kind of run with this. This is a really exciting thread. Craig, Simply Sci-Fi, requested any stories of memories from Star Wars as a child, things like, you know, radio adverts, did you remember, you know, going to the cinema or watching on TV, the comics or the fan clubs? And he's had some fantastic replies from forum members, you know, meeting Darth Vader on tour. There's a... There's a great picture of uh, Banton 989 being lifted up by Darth Vader and, uh, you know, information about the, the triple bills that came out after Return of the Jedi. But I've been discussing a lot of this with uh, with Craig through personal messages and everything. Craig has actually passed on a rough draft of his Made in Britain Star Wars book. And all I can say is, it, guys, it's amazing. Uh, incredible amount of information. There's his, it's the historical experience of Star Wars in the UK. It's got you know, quotes from newspapers, television, advertisements, tons of stuff I've never even heard or seen. Who did what when uh, when Star Wars was released in the UK, whether it came from the actors or crew interviews and, you know, projects like the Green Cross Crowman, the promotions of the films on the UK in the UK on television, the merchandising, and it's all in sort of like a chronological order of events. So you actually feel like you're living the Star Wars experience in the UK as it moves throughout the 70s into the early 80s. It's a definitive history I'm completely amazed by the level of research. You know, it could easily act as a thesis for a doctorate in history. The attention to detail actually reminds me of the recent J.W. Rinsler making of Star Wars books. But obviously Craig's done this research without, you know, having access to the Lucasfilm archives. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's really overwhelming. You know, I haven't read it all yet, but um, I think he's basically written the next 50 episodes of my oddball items in one go. 
you know, first of all, I'd like to say thank you to Craig for giving us the opportunity to have a look at the, the rough draft of his book. And uh, guys, if you're on the forum, you know, get involved in this book. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal. Give Craig uh, your memories and and tell him uh, of your experiences of, you know, Star Wars in the UK and your youth and, and who knows what happens. But uh, it would be an epic crime, uh, worse than Greedo shooting first if this book isn't published. So, you know, guys, I really strongly suggest you get involved. It's uh, It's phenomenal. Has he got a target release date for this book? He's written it. I mean, um, it's, you know, the, what I've looked at is a couple hundred pages long, and it's just, I'm, I'm just blown away by the detail of it. I mean, it, it's ridiculous how much, we're talking like newspaper clippings and just, just everything. I mean, you know, everything's sort of like in the chronological order of everything that happened in the UK. It's, 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 it's phenomenal. I think a lot of us are on there, Grant, to be fair. I mean, he, I think he came on a while back before and had a, a, a similar thread, or maybe that's the same thread I can't remember, but um, I sent a lot of stuff about memories of when Star Wars first came on television. The night, I think it was like a Sunday night, and everyone was like sitting around watching the TV, because obviously we didn't have videos and all that sort of stuff then. Um, so I think um, I think probably quite a few people for the forum have sent him stuff. I know I've sent him at least two long essays of, of memories, so... You read read a bit harder, Grant. I'm sure I'm in there somewhere. No, no, there is. There's there's four pages so far of replies. You know, there's a there's already a lot of great stuff in there. But you know, if anyone else can think of anything, or maybe I haven't clicked on that thread yet, it's definitely you know a, a well worth thread to be reading. Too uh, many youngsters, Grant, on this form. That's what it is. Too many kids. You said that you just said that you remember watching Star Wars for the first time. Was that the first time it was premiered on TV? No, no, no. The first time it was on TV. I remember, I remember watching Star Wars because I mean, you know, because I didn't have a video player or anything because my dad was far too stingy for that sort of thing. I had to wait to see it for not being on the cinema. You know, several years later, you think, goodness, that was a hell of a long time. Yeah, I was going to ask. I've got that as a question in brackets because the first time I watched Star Wars was when it premiered on the TV, and I believe that happened in November 1982. But I'm not sure, and I'm sure it's going to be in a crazy book. I think, it's the, I think it's in my reply, I think I actually went and had a quick look to see when it was actually shown, but when I saw Star Wars at the cinema when it was first out in whatever year, it was 77 or whatever it was, aged very, very young, but I was definitely there, and um, then I had to wait again, because obviously the cinema run would have ended, mom and dad would not have taken me and my brother to see the same film twice, because they were stingy buggers, and uh, we would have to wait to see the Star Wars again, but obviously we saw Empire Strikes Back in between that, but... Um, because I'm sure it was the, it was in the lead up to the, the announcement of Return of the Jedi being out, and then it finally hit the TV. Used to be a mainstay of Christmas as well. Yeah, Christmas Day every, every day. year. Christmas, every year, yeah. um, something to look forward to. I remember Empire premiering in uh, 1988. It was Star Wars every year from about 1982 on Christmas Day to 1988. It premiered Empire, which shows you how long it took for that to get on TV. And then that was on there for two Christmases. And then I think in 1990, Jedi premiered. I mean, with seven years to wait, Jedi. I think Lucas was always a bit weird, wasn't it? When, it, when things like video and TV, I mean, and even on things like DVD, he held off on that for a long time. Because remember that there was a, a CD-ROM disc came out called Behind the Magic, which kind of preceded sort of like the uh, the DVD era. It was always a bit strange about putting stuff onto the the, the new format or the next format. I remember the the, the video, all, you know, all the all the films had been on video and stuff, and Star Wars was one of the last films to kind of like really hit the video release market. It was only in like rental shops years later. And the same with uh, with CDs and stuff. He just he, he really didn't like it. He didn't didn't like the, the technology available. I think it was a case of uh, releasing it the way he did, so you could make thirty billion instead of ten. Yeah, because it, it, it did appear on the cinema sort of more often. I mean, I remember 
uh, there was adverts in the Star Wars fan club for like triple bills and stuff, and they were going to show double bills all over the country, which was never close enough for, for our parents to drive me and my brother to see this film. So we had to kind of wait years, and it was it was agonising. I mean, you think about it now, I just don't think I, I could last to like that long. Yeah, going back onto that, Grant, I've been posting a couple of messages to Craig, and I've got a very very vivid recollection of going to see Empire Strike Back and Return of the Jedi as a double bill at a cinema. And Craig was fairly adamant that it was a triple bill, but I really can't remember seeing A New Hope. And the person who took me to see it, I could not imagine them sitting through three films. So I'm, I'm, fairly, I'm fairly confident, and I'd be astounded if the double bill never appeared anyway. But then I remember I was talking about a couple of posters. Uh, I bought a poster in my mind, which I admit to be being correct, because you know how memories uh, change over time. But in my mind, I can think of a poster that had a space backdrop. It had Vader dominating the poster. It had the Emperor, the Emperor's Royal Guard, and quite a few of the Imperial Space Fleet. The alternative one was a group of Ewoks, Craig suggesting that actually it probably wasn't, it was a single shot of Wicket. But I've had a look at that Wicket poster and I really can't remember that one. I think it's 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 really good reading threads because it makes you go back and try to put more detail into your memories. And I've done a lot of search for these posters that I've got a recollection for, but I really can't see them. And, and I may be wrong, these posters may not exist, I may just have a different uh, memory of these, but I'm fairly adamant that I only saw a double bill. Does anybody remember seeing any double bill events of just Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, or was it just the triple one that was that was available? I was looking at my uh, Star Wars fan club uh, adverts, and it's only tri- triple bills everywhere. But I'll have another look to see what's in there. There's um, there's double bills as well when Empire came out. But it could be just that the the cinema might be in a private cinema and done their own thing. Yeah, the the cinema certainly wasn't a chain. It was it was an independent cinema, and they they've gone now. They went a long time ago. So I wonder if it's possible that if it was independent, um, I wonder if they could have got a hold of their own posters as well, and perhaps that's why I'm having trouble finding them. Moving on to Ben then, who's been looking at a weasel post, which was titled Postal Insurance Claim. Benjamin? The actual uh, name of the thread that I wanted to look at, Stu, was uh, Cracked Bubble Yoda AFA85. Um, The postal insurance thread was the one that came off the back of this. It's a bit of a sad story, and it's not the only thread that relates to this. There's another thread called Squid AFA Disaster that Slim put up, and finally one that uh, I mentioned earlier when I was talking about Takara figures. Uh, Yogi put a thread up called Takara Alternate Sculpt C-3PO Former Mock Quandary, and the basic gist of all three of these, they're, they're all quite unusual, quite rare mint on cards. The Yoda was a, a graded single tier AFA Power of the Force Yoda, which is a very rare figure. It's one of the more difficult to get Power of the Force figures. Also, what with Yoda being a popular, a popular focus character, it's, it's one that, uh, a lot of people would like in their collection. Slim Squid Miscard, Squid Head, uh, reuse miscard we talked about in episode one and the Takara C3PO with the Takara B alternate sculpt um, all graded all have been sent in the post and unfortunately all three cards have effectively been destroyed the squid has burst out of its bubble I didn't realize this but uh, Joe 
Joe O'Brien, uh, Trilogo Joe, was um, quick to mention something that we did really consider about these these missed cards, and that is that the bubbles are very fragile, and it's quite known that they don't travel well. The Takara C-3PO, it looks like the seal was not a very good seal on the card, and the figures obviously moved in transit, and not the whole seal, the whole bubbles come away from the card. And finally, the Yoda has cracked along the bottom. Now, the common denominator of all three of these are that they're all AFA graded. And, and the tragedy about this is that when you're posting an AFA graded card, it's got absolutely zero protection to the actual card and bubble. Obviously, it's sealed in acrylic, but there's no way of packing any material around the around the bubbles so they're they're completely loose inside they're at at the mercy of the postman basically if they're a little bit rough with it, it it's it can be disastrous for the card as we've seen in these three cases I, I must admit i don't think any of the guys in these instances actually graded them themselves i think that they've either been posted from where they bought them to them or they've sent them out graded now i just wondered what uh the other guy's thoughts were about um, about how, how sad this is, really. And, I mean, is it really worth grading cards and posting them if this is going to com- keep happening? Yeah, something that amazes me about AFA is they're dealing with these high-quality sort of goods, and they don't go and speak to, well, I'm, I'm pretty much assuring they haven't, uh, go and talk to a company like Pyra, or they are now known as Smithers Pyra, apparently. And they, they deal in packaging, um, all kinds of paper, sort of transport, um, I used to use them a lot for when I used to work in packaging. We were transporting bottles and caps across the planet, but the caps didn't pop off and, and labels didn't fall off when they were in transit. And um, it, it, it just staggers me that these things that are worth an utter fortune are getting transported and no one's looking into the, to the distribution of these things. Because um, sometimes with when you send something, people pack it all into a box really tight, but that can sometimes be the worst way of doing it. Sometimes you actually need a bit of movement. So, because when the force of the outside package is being hit or a bumpy road or something, because there's no movement, the, the thing inside might move. Um, so, if the rest of the package doesn't move, then it can actually damage the thing that's inside. So, we used to get uh, bottles in, in boxes getting smashed to pieces, but the outer box, absolutely fine. Um, so, I really think that the AFA need to go and speak to a company like Pyra. I don't know exactly where they're based, but um, it's something that staggers me that this is, isn't looked into more. Uh, yeah, this is a um, this is a travesty. I feel really sorry for the three guys who you know can imagine opening up, and they're really nice pieces as well. It's not like the, you know, it's a Good Morning Guard on the Jedi card. I mean, you've got a Miss card, you've got a wonderful Power of the Force card, you've got a Takara figure. It must be heartbreaking to see these, but um, I mean, I don't do AFA, and this is one of the reasons why I don't do AFA. I just I don't trust it at all. And you know, there's a video on. Um, you know, I don't want to be polarizing here or anything, but there's a video on Facebook the other day which someone broke open an AFA uh, Paddy Toy R2-D2 on the Star Wars card and stuck in an acrylic case, and I thought, yeah, that's a lot better. I'm going to jump out at this point because I don't think I'm going to say anything that's beneficial. Yeah, I think this is bigger than EFA. There's going to become a time soon where you're literally not going to be able to post mint on cards. I think everything's going to have to be taken to, I suppose, going back, isn't it? Like the olden days. I'm talking to the, the 1990s. Before the internet, you know, when you would actually take on cards to conventions and meetings and you do your buy and sells there instead of posting them because these these are getting more and more bill. From a personal point of view, if I ever find myself in a situation where I'm, I'm spending a lot of money on uh, a mint on card, 
And in the example of the of the Yoda, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here because I know that in the thread, Weasel actually contacted the buyer and said, do you mind if I just, for the uh, purposes of of the discussion about the insurance post how much you paid for it on the forum. So the figure was £1,400. Now, I think if I was spending that kind of money on something as fragile and as rare as well, because let's not forget these, these pieces are rare pieces and there's a very small number of them about and obviously one less. I think I'd be inclined to say I'd like to come somewhere and actually meet and pick this thing up in person. There's a thread at the moment on rebel scum in the for sale section where a guy's put a an entire boba fett focus up for sale basically he's uh, asking a hundred thousand dollars for the entire collection uh, and looking at the pieces he's got and the current market prices it's worth every penny of that but can you imagine buying that and obviously you'd pick the setup if you were going to spend that amount of money on a set but perhaps buying it to just keep a few pieces and sell the rest these pieces are so three, four thousand. Some of the, some of them. He's got four Star Wars and three twenty-one back Empire Strikes Back graded. You'd just be too frightened to post the thing out. With the way things are going, it would, it would terrify you to risk that amount of money with the, with the postal service. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure about the Boba Fett collection, but um, the was interesting. I mean, I've had a Zuckus on the Return of the Jedi card, and the the bubble was unbelievably yellow. It looked like Zuckus had been smoking inside the bubble for the last thirty years. And that, uh, he just smashed out that bubble. But, you know, I think it's worth highlighting as well, is that the power of the force bubbles are extremely brittle. They yellow very easily, and this is not something I would pack in a, I'd want to pack in a, in an acrylic case or in an FA case. This is something, you know, I'd, I'd probably want to pack at least in a star case with lots of peanuts or whatever, or bubble wrap. But, uh, yeah, this is horrible, not good at all. Basically, just don't get them graded. Go and buy some cases from <laughs> Itifica Ian. And uh, just have your own display. And if you want labels with little numbers on them, I'll be happy to put any number you want on it and send it to you. Yeah, actually, yeah. Ben, ben will pay you for it. He'll pay you like 30 quid for it. <laughs> Ben's grading service. Leave it out. Now to Pete, who's been looking at a thread from the slider named Must Try Harder. Yeah, um, customs. Now, before we kind of start on this, I, I don't want to put in the category customs that are really good so someone's made effort they've taken a figure and they've actually looked at it and gone right what would kenner do and recreate it so that that's not involved in this rant at all that is they are fine what we're talking about is these lazy people these really really dodgy customs i mean the one that was linked to the forum if you look at it closely was a really badly produced card with a um, farm boy luke and it had just been painted black with grey boots and bits filled in and given a Darth Vader cape. And the guy had gone to sort of an extent of taking pictures of this on, on his eBay page and uh, making, you know, making the page look like it was some sort of real figure. I mean, he's even gone to photograph a 1977 Lucasfilm uh, bit at the bottom of the card. I mean, it's just like, what, who do you take us for? And even his description is just, it sums it all up. <laughs> I mean, you have to read it. I have a very cool one-of-a-kind vintage figure here. Figure is 100% vintage, 1977. The Rebel Jedi is now the Sith. The Lord figure is custom-painted. Cape is a reproduction of lightsaber. It's custom-painted reproduction. That's all one sentence. And he's even called it Darth Skywalker. I mean, there's just no thought in there. And this keeps going on. This keeps going on with these stupid um, custom idiot figures, which I have to call them. Um, you've got things 
like um, the Alderon card with a few sort of bricks. Um, you've got uh, Jubak Dung. I mean, it just goes on and on. And I just wish, if anyone's out there listening, they've got to stop doing it because it's really, really annoying. Especially when you're searching for genuine custom items. There was a swing I was after recently, and I just got all this utter garbage. I don't know what the rest of you guys think, but it's just, and not when I see them, I get annoyed. And it's the lazy ones that, that I detest. Uh, the ones like they've just put someone else's head on a different figure, or they've just repainted it a little bit. And it's just a lack of thought. Does anyone have any customs out there? I, I don't own any of them. But um, I, I think some of them aren't too bad. But the one that you talked about, that Dorf Skywalker, he's wanting 30 quid. £30 for a custom corded figure. He's having a laugh. And it's not even good, is it? It's just it's just a, re- a really bad repaint. You can even see Luke Skywalker from the Farm Boy one. His neck has been painted in. So he hasn't even attempted to put any sort of um, putty or anything in there. To cover that up, he's just painted it. Yeah, totally agree. To echo what you said, we will stop seeing these if people stop buying them. You know, the amount of times I've heard, oh, you know, I, I'll just get that one. Well, okay, that, so that guy's got 30 quid now for a sale. That's money that's getting ploughed back into making the next one. And then somebody else buys the one, and before you know the snowballing off, all these little ones that people are buying are, are funding these customs. The one, the, the famous one was that the, the burnt Aunt Baru and Uncle Owen. That seemed to be the one that kind of kicked a lot of this stuff off because they started making money, and they still sell now. I mean, they're still, some of them are going for like 20 quid quite regularly as well. Um, and there's, of course, really poor imitations of them. But, and, and it's just gone on and on, and it's getting worse and worse. Um, on the forum, when the, I think it was the Blue Milk one, when that arrived, there was a, a question about who could come up with the stupidest name. So I'm going to throw that out to you in a second, so you've got a little bit of thinking time. As you're thinking of the, the most stupid custom, Ones I've seen are, obviously, you've just mentioned the charred remains of Owen and Baru. Um, there's the blue milk. There's the empty, the force, which is just an empty bowl. You've got uh, Bampadung. And I've seen the Rancor pit remains as well. So, getting back to... Um, the You've got Planet side, Hoth as well. The Planet, Planet Hoth, Hoth yeah. Right? yeah. So, getting back to the stupid names, I, I like some of these. I've picked the three best ones I could find. Somebody posted... <laughs> it's cracking us up reading these. <laughs> I've lost. <laughs> Which is gone, he's gone. This is <laughs> comedy gold. These are so funny. <laughs> I didn't know he could laugh. I didn't know he had the ability to laugh. I thought up north of all miserable. This is going to be the outtakes, isn't it? <laughs> dear one. <laughs> well, oh, dear, so dear me. Oh, the joviality up on Tyneside tonight. Oh, he knows no bounds. There's only that and last of summer wine to keep him busy in the winter months. That's <laughs> it must be gyro day. <laughs> oh. Oh. The of temperature course, yeah. got to 10 degrees C Let's celebrate him The sun's gone to their heads Yeah, I've Let's put a shirt off now, Luke Yeah, I've been out in the sun all day So I've been affected Right, we've got Luke and Leah MBOs <laughs> We've got eh. They almost had one of those in, the, in, in one of the modern figures They actually had a baby Luke and Leah From the, from the Revenge of the Sith film So they weren't far off Hey, it must be messy trying to U-grade that, man. <laughs> I can't do these last two. Gonna... <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's better be funny. <laughs> I was going to say, if this is crap... Come on, Richard. Type it out and I'll read it for you. He's gone. He's gone. I, I, want, gone. I, want, Rich, I want Rich to read them. Wookie pubes. Have you spat Wookie right? Rancor farts. <laughs> that was it. 
It wasn't that funny. <laughs> yeah, I probably made them up um, more than what they could be. I just couldn't see them. <laughs> right, okay, so throwing it out then. Uh, Stuart, what's the most stupidest uh, <laughs> custom card you could invent? Can we come back to me in a minute? Ben? No. Oh, come on, he's a bloody useless. I came up with the Luke and Leah embryos. Grant? Uh, I don't know, Padme Tears. Padme Tears, that's not bad. Pete? Gundark Spit. Gundark Spit. I think I remember seeing Yoda Jizz somewhere down the line as well. What about Incestuous Regret? <laughs> I don't know, I, I gotta be honest with you, like, um, I don't mind these things. I know they're gimmicky and they're massively overpriced, but, uh, yeah, I don't actually mind them that much. I think we've uh, just found who's been buying this rubbish yeah. and keeping it Grant, stop buying them. Buy I don't something buy- decent. I don't buy anything after 1985, and I mean like anything, even food. <laughs> that well, I have seen I have seen how he dresses, so I can attest to that. <laughs> well, you just buy tinned food from army surplus stores. Yes. Oh, Richard uh, Richard doesn't use any jokes after 1985 either, so you're probably both with each other. Uh, and Ben doesn't use any deodorant. It's a glandular problem. It's not funny. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Ben's not gone through a cube, but he's he one sweat. Right, should we move on? <laughs> yeah, let's move on. Mon Mothma's period. That's nasty. I think you're going to... Uh, give it, well, good luck to you on that one. Um, is there any more to this? No. Before we move off this section, I just wanted to also mention Monkey Roo's thread, which was entitled Gus Lopez, Kenner Action Figure Poster Giveaway Competition. Matt has written a book called... Olivia and the Family Secret, The Hammington Chronicles, Volume 1, and is uh, running a competition alongside it to win a Gus Lopez action figure poster. And I was lucky enough to catch up with Matt, so here's what he had to say about this book. Right, I am delighted to be chatting to Matt off the forum, better known as Monkey Roo. Hi, Matt. Hello. Hi, Stuart. Noticed on the forum, you're, uh, you've just finished a book and got it released called Olivia and the Family Secret, the Hamilton Chronicles Volume 1. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. It's a, it's a lovely mouthful of a title, isn't it? It's <laughs> nothing like keeping it short and sweet. I'm, I'm sure there's something about that. Um, yes, yeah, just, just it was published and made available a few weeks ago uh, on uh, Amazon Digital Format. This is going to be the first of a, a longer trilogy, well not trilogy, but a, a longer group of books. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a Lucas-like trilogy in that it's going to be in more than three parts. Um, it's, it's, there's going to be seven books in, in total, spanning a, a sort of a, a time frame in, in these characters' lives. And uh, yeah, the first, the first one's up and, and, and we're working on the second one at the moment. Could you tell us a bit about the first book? Sure, sure. The, the, the first book uh, is um, it's, it's an introduction uh, to the series, and it introduces the main characters. The main character is uh, a young 11-year-old princess called Olivia, who's named after my daughter. She's extremely happy about that, although I can't actually get her to read the book. <laughs> um, different story. Uh, and, and it essentially follows uh, her adventures as she and her uh, older brother Henry and their friends venture out into this sort of slightly medieval world. It's, it's set in a, a sort of fictional European medieval setting. Uh, and they encounter sort of various creatures, trolls and dragons and fairies and, and so forth. And, and it's really sort of following her as she sort of blossoms, grows up uh, and, and, and begins to sort of grow beyond the, the, the child and into a, a slightly older character. Yeah, sounds um, sounds intriguing. I have to uh, give this a read. It's, uh, at what what kind of age group is it targeted at? 
I think predominantly, uh, I, I would say sort of uh, seven to ten would be the, the, the target age. Um, for, for, for me writing it, I was, I, was, I was conscious of trying to write something that my daughter, who's actually just six, could actually sit down and read. Um, it's an age group where there isn't a desperate amount of material that isn't totally repetitive. Uh, and I, I don't know, you know, quite a few guys in the forums of, of uh, parents and they read to their kids and, and you probably get quite frustrated reading the same thing over and over and over again. So I, I was very conscious to try and write a story that actually had growth and development but aimed squarely at that slightly younger, the pre-Harry Potter years, if you like. Is there any particular books that have inspired this uh, this novel? Uh, lots, yes. Crikey. Um, quite, quite, a, quite a few books, films, TV shows. I, one of the things I was aware of is... is a parent I read to my children quite a lot, still at, at the age when they're six and seven, I think, I think you do. So I, I was conscious of trying to put something together that uh, I would get a giggle out of reading and, and maybe like-minded, like the older children would get a giggle. So there are obviously plenty of Star Wars references and nods, uh, certainly in this first book, and, and then it follows through the theme, theme sorry, through the, through the entire series. But um, there's a little bit of Tolkien in there. There is a, a great swath of Shakespeare uh, throughout it, which is a good mix putting, putting Tolkien and Shakespeare together. Um, but there's also references to all sorts of other shows. Um, Game of Thrones gets a nod. Uh, Indiana Jones gets a good nod. Pirates of the Caribbean, Treasure Island. Uh, so there is quite a strong literary influence uh, across the whole piece. Yeah, quite a vaster. Yeah, very ranging. <laughs> Where can people download this? Currently, the book is uh, only available to download off, off Amazon. Um, it was published using their Kindle Direct program, which is a very nice piece of software. I can recommend uh, using that. So it's available off Amazon at the moment, uh, and that is the only place uh, currently that it can be bought. And I believe you're running a competition alongside this at the moment on the Star Wars Forum UK. That's right, yes. Uh, currently running a, a competition to win a Gus Lopez uh, original poster. Um, and uh, yeah, people are free to, to, to go on. They have to answer a, a small question uh, about the book and uh, in with a chance to win the poster. Yep, well, there you go, listeners. You need to uh, get your finger out and get this downloaded and get the question answered. Thank you ever so much for taking your time for this, and we'd be delighted if you could come on in the next couple of months and uh, do a full interview with us here at Swaffolk. Fantastic, Stuart. Yes, I'd love to. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. Cheers. So a huge thank you to Matt. Please be sure to go and download his uh, his book. Uh, it's just 77p, absolutely nothing. Uh, you can download it if you're in the UK at www.amazon.co.uk forward slash dp forward slash b-o-o-l-2-b-x-o-j-o. If that's too much to remember, you can just go onto his thread on the forum or, or just ask him direct. His username is monkeyroo. Uh, his competition, that is open until midnight on the 31st of July. Uh, you need to go download the book, have a listen, and answer the question which he has put on his thread, which is, who is named after a planet from the Star Wars universe? Simple to do. Right, that is this month's Forum Roundup. Roundup. Well, it's time for the competition, and I would like to thank everybody who went at this month. We had a lot more than last month, which was interesting, perhaps uh, the prize of the Star Wars Hardback Ultimate Visual Guide and the CD of the original soundtrack uh, really appealed to a lot of people. 
So I've got all the names loaded up in the random name picker, and I'm going to give this wheel a spin. So good luck, everybody. Oh, the tension. Tension. And the winner is Brown Bay 29. Okay, yeah, Brown Bay local, 29. Yeah, local lad. Yeah, Good lad, he's from Cov. Okay, Brown Bay 29, if you send us an email with your name and address and we'll get that out to you as quick as possible. So thanks everyone for entering the competition. And I think, believe, Stu, do we have another competition? I mean, where are we getting all these prizes from? What's going on? Do we have another competition for next month? We do indeed, Rich. Uh, luckily, we've been donated a nice Jewback box from from dear old Rich himself for this month's competition. All you need to do is go on and like our Facebook page. Uh, the 112 people that have already liked it will go straight into the how- hat. Um, but uh, anyone else wanting to get involved, get liking on that page. Takes you five seconds, so knock yourselves out. Time to go over to Rich now for this month's Boom Story. This month I've decided for the boom section to look at the 1985 Star Wars droids salesman sample that appeared on Rebel Scum. Um, it's a prototype, it's a, it's a resin hard copy of Kleb Selic, which was a piece that wasn't actually made, so um, it's not available. And it's one of possibly only three um, that have ever been found. So very, very quickly, it appeared that something was going wrong with this auction that was um, up for eBay. Blue Stars first posted that three of them were known. One is in the collection of Gus Lopez, who came on and verified that his was there. And there was another one, which was an AFA graded with coin. Now, this is important because in the eBay description, it was advertised as being the only sample. So there was a little bit of a debate. Is it the only sample? And I think the general consensus is it was the only sample, but he was very clever on how it was worded. It's not the only hard copy or prototype that's been found, but it's the only salesman example of that kind of, of cards. So a little bit of, um, you know, stretching the truth there. Now, a little bit later on, a guy called um, AceDecked75, he spotted that it was for sale $25,000 earlier, but it didn't sell. It went for a whopping $50,099. 64 bids drove it up to that price. Assembly required James and some guy from Star Wars from UK. His name escapes us at the moment, but he's a real Star Wars genius. Oh, yeah, I've got his name here. CC4RHU. They both highlighted that there was suspicious bidding practices going on. And for me, it stuck out like a sore thumb, but... It took a little bit, you know, of children and phone for, for others to agree. Now, the reason why I didn't like this is because the winning bidder, you only had a feedback of 115, and 27% of those bids was with the seller. Okay, so that's, you know, the best part of 30 of his bids were, were with this uh, one seller, which is very odd. And you also had two bid retractions in the last six months. So if somebody's willing to, to shell out $50,000, um, having feedback like that isn't great, especially with two bid retractions. And then Gus Lopez came on with an absolutely brilliant line. I'd love to see this on a T-shirt somewhere. Wow, there were only two of these out there. I own one, and so does the total moron. 
which I, which I think is a wonderful line. Somebody said, well, you know, there are three Gus, and he came back saying, yeah, but the joke doesn't work with three. So that, that was absolutely brilliant. Ross C. then done some wonderful analysis on uh, the EBA pattern, and this is what he found. So, as I've already said, the winning bidder had 27% of bids with this seller. But the second-placed bidder, he had 69% of all of his bids was with that seller. That's a massive, massive percentage. The third bidder had 80% of his bids and one retraction in the last six months. And the, the fifth bidder had incredibly low feedback. I think it was in the low 20s. And he had 100% of bids with this seller. So you've got the winning, the second, the third, the fourth, and the fifth place bidder all having very, very suspicious high activity with this one seller. And then um, Shane Turgeon comes along. Um, I've probably butchered his surname there. It's probably Turgeon. And he came up with some information on with regards to the seller. Now, he spotted that the second bidder, so that's the guy who has the 69% of bidding activity with the seller, was a previous owner of the piece, and he bought it from Tom Derby. And he doesn't actually name how much he, he bought it for, but he put on there, the guy bought it for an insane amount of money. And then he, he tried to sell it a little bit later on for around $20,000. Phidias Barrios comes on, and then he said he believes that the guy probably bought it for around about the 10000 mark, the 12000 mark, and he probably thought, I'll buy this and make a very, very quick profit uh, of up to ten thousand dollars. Now, as he was selling it for the twenty thousand, he wasn't getting any take as nobody was interested. So he then sticks it on eBay to go for twenty-five. Now, it's possible that he had an offer. It's it's been unconfirmed, but it's possible that he had a genuine offer for under the twenty-five thousand. But he knocked it back and he didn't he didn't want to take it. So then it's relisted a little bit later on, and apparently sells for fifty thousand. K ninety-five ZTZ one. He came on and he put. Some, something interesting I thought on there. If you've got two serious bidders with deep pockets, they, they don't bid continuously against each other. You know, they, they don't bid with days to go. They tend to bid right at the end, at the last minute, in an effort to snipe each other. They're not, they're not going to, you know, chuck out, right, I've got 22,000, there's my bid. Up, oh, you'll raise it at 24. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to raise it to 28, 30, etc., etc. It's not how it happens. So, so this has suspicion written all over it. This has shill bidding written all over it with fake eBay accounts. So, guys, what I'm wondering is, is eBay really doing us a favour by hiding these eBay IDs? Should they be showing us the eBay IDs so that we can actually click on these guys, have a look at them to determine whether things are genuine or not? Any ideas? I, I have. Uh, I agree with you, Rich. Absolutely not. eBay is basically... There's no honesty about it anymore. There's no transparency. The seller and the buyer should be completely, completely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you should be completely aware of, uh, transparent in so much as that you can then tell whether a particular seller is using a particular set of accounts to bid items up or to protect the prices of their items. Likewise, you can see any shady activities that a seller may have been up to, or if it's an item that a seller's tried to sell four or five times previously, if they've hidden all their feedback, you can't see what they've been selling in the past. I'm a bit of a pessimist with eBay. I believe a lot of feedback that may 
or should perhaps be negative feedback becomes positive feedback because there's a bit of a dispute between a buyer and a seller and maybe there's a little bit of leverage there and either no feedback gets left through fear of uh, some sort of repercussion or some sort of reputation being damaged or positive feedback gets less left anyway. I don't think the feedback system works as well as it should do and I think this concealment of the bidders, it's just helping eBay become rife for this sort of thing. Good point, there, Ben. I, th- I think shield bidding is certainly something that's being promoted now. Um, I know EB don't tolerate it, but they, their system's open to huge abuse. And I, and I don't remember shield bidding going back, you know, five years. I, I, it seems to be more of a common issue. And it's, it's dead easy for somebody to set up a second EB account and a third and a fourth EB account. And I've even heard of people buying EB accounts of people who've got, you know, fairly high feedback. I'm wondering perhaps is it's time now for eBay at the start to say, look, you can only buy so much or you can only bid so much of a certain seller in a time period, you know, to stop some of the shill bidding or possible shill billing going on. Uh, Grant, have you got any uh, thoughts on this? This doesn't really come as much as a surprise anymore. Um, I've really noticed that I don't really use eBay anymore uh, because of stuff like this. Um, you know, they changed around all the categories and uh, one of the most updated threads that we have on the forum is about issues with eBay. I'm sure Pete Gowdy's got about, you know, 3,000 of his uh, of his posts come from uh, complaints about eBay. And rightly so as well. Ten years ago, I used to use it all the time. Right? I used to think it was absolutely phenomenal. But now with uh, the other auction sites, and especially with the uh, just the amount of counterfeit goods on there, you know, I had to contact them the other day because someone was using my photographs and it only took, I think it was like three phone calls uh, to actually get them to move to actually cancel that person's account and, you know, they can easily open up another account. Was it worth it? Just seems to be more and more examples of where eBay is very interested in the fees and the PayPal fees, but they're not too interested in the in the counterfeit fraud or the copyright uh, infringements or anything like that. So this is just another uh, horrible example of that. I'd love for Pete Gowdy to open his own eBay kind of alternative because yeah, yeah know, wouldn't he, that be great? It would be great. He he could referee every single one of them, and he, he he's totally fair. He understands the system. He knows all the tricks of the pull. So uh, cheers, Pete, for everything that you've done on the forum. Um, you know, you're invaluable to some of our members. Yeah, he'd be my eBay lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been on eBay a long, long time and got a business account and a personal account. That's why that's why I make my money. Um, <clears throat> I mean, eBay does clamp down. Well, they do try and clamp down shill bidders, give them a bit of reputation. But when they do clamp down the shill bid, they really do. They go for it. I mean, I used to buy some computers from a place over in Hinkley, and they were really dodgy. And they got found out. And when they got found out for being really dodgy, they didn't only just close down this guy's account. They closed down everybody associated with them. Um, and that included a couple of people I know who were totally innocent in it and they just completely ban them from eBay so when, when they do actually do it they do go for the for the jugular but it's really really hard to prove anything now I, I've been ripped off a couple of times on eBay through foreign dealings and they're very slow in well they don't actually do anything if you get ripped off they won't you have to put through a case um, to PayPal and stuff about the money they won't actually refund you or anything or do anything for you they'll just note it down that that person had maybe a fraudulent activity and it takes about three or four fraudulent activities for them to actually act. So you can get away with it for quite some time before eBay will actually, you know, go, oh, actually, this person's a bit dodgy. So you, you, you can probably get away with it probably about three times before eBay will actually act, which is pretty pathetic, isn't it? That, that is basically saying we won't act 
on crime until a bit later down the line when we, when we can be actually be bothered. So they are good in some ways, but eBay is just getting... I mean, they are getting worse and worse and worse. I've been on there since, like, 99, and uh, their new restrictions on sellers are really poor. Um, they're not dealing with, with poor buyers. They seem to just be focused on dragging money out of people and not actually doing what their sole purpose is. It was just to offer really fair marketplace. And, you know, whatever Pete says on the forum is totally right. I mean, um, he could probably make a living out of being, being an eBay lawyer, to be fair to you. I mean, he does a better job than the, the actual eBay themselves, who are really slow to act on anything. Many good points there, Pete. I, I agree with a lot of that. So getting back to the Cleb figure, it's an absolutely hideous figure. And apologies to anybody who looks like Cleb, but if you do, you're, you're but ugly. It's as simple as that. You, you've got this guy who's very overweight, um, wears boots that go up to his groin. Looks like he's wearing a big green kipper tie, which could actually be a mankini as well, because it seemed to go between his legs. Hang on, hang on. He's sounding far more handsome, if you ask me. Uh, right, possibly more handsome than you, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll take that one back. And it's just, you know, what kid would ever want this figure? It's, it's, it, it's bonkers them actually designing this character in the first place. I just, I just don't get it. And, what do you think, knowing that it's a, it's a hard copy, it's a, it's a very, very unique, unproduced prototype, what value would you give to it? Because 50, 50 grand is completely out there. Has anybody got any ideas on what they would say? Ben? Same as you. I don't see... I mean, I'm not a pre-production guy anyway. It's quite a specialist sort of niche thing to be into. And I do appreciate why guys get into the, into the pre-production collecting it's history, and it's the history of the of the line of the toys. But this is goes back to the we've mentioned it a couple of times on previous podcasts. You know, are droids and Ewoks? Is that really part of the of the Star Wars film? It's part of the franchise, but to, to me, this this character, this figure, it's it's a nothing really. It's hard copy or not. It's just not. It's like the Vlix. I mean, I. Apologies to any Blix collectors out there, but I just don't get that either. It's it's not a figure I'd I'd pay ten pounds for if it was in abundance, uh, and I certainly wouldn't buy into the fact that because it's very very rare, I'd pay a fortune for it. It's it's just it doesn't appeal to me at all. Personally, I think that in today's market, probably somewhere around about the ten to fifteen thousand um, is fair. Yeah, uh, Darren posted on Rebelscorn. What would you rather have? This one-off unproduced figure or a full set of the first 12 on card? I think if anyone went for, the, for that figure over what you just said, the 12, the 12 backs, I think they should be thrown out of Star Wars collecting because that, that's a no-brainer question, surely. I'd go for the uh, rocket firing Boba Fett at that price. Let's put it this way. If I found one of these figures, if I happened to chance upon one of these figures in some some found out in the wild, I'd have absolutely no hesitation at selling it at the first opportunity I, I could for anything, you know, $10,000. Dave Proud's autographs. Thousands <laughs> of them. Thousands of Dave Proud's autographs. No, anything over $10,000 and it would be gone, and I'd have absolutely no qualms about selling it, despite the history that people would tell me that it had, it, it would be gone. Uh, and I'd absolutely choose a set of 12 bats over that. You could probably buy David Prowse for that, for about a year or something. You could just have him live in your house. Yikes, isn't I don't, I don't want to talk about David Prowse anymore. We've done that. It's, I'm over ben, he could, he could, he could, you know, he could be the, he could be a babysitter when your kid comes along. He could 
do the, the spare room up. It could be really good. I'm over it with David Prowse. Uh, I hope he uh, uses my money wisely. Uh, it's no problem at all. I like to help the elderly out from time to time. And, he, you know, I, I feel uh, I feel he's he, he's earned my money. So I'm over it. Let's leave it. So we'll have to end the boom story there as Ben did get a bit emotional and started crying. So look forward to next month's boom story. <laughs> We here at SWF UK Podcast need your help. On Sunday the 15th of June this year, 2014, Benjamin George Coomber was the victim of an unfortunate scam. Because of his face and the little waddle he has when he walks, he was taken advantage of. Benjamin George Coomber had been saving hard for a day out with his better half when an elderly gentleman, going under the name of David Prowse, took every penny from his wallet to sign with a pen which Benjamin George Coomber owned, a photo which Benjamin George Coomber had taken along to the event himself. Mr Prowse did not have any overheads on this transaction, nor even the ink from his pen. Benjamin George Coomber, being the timid type, handed over the money and waddled off with his signed print, empty wallet and eyes full of tears. If you witnessed this event, or have heard of similar incidents involving the said con artist, please, please, please get in touch with us at starwarsforum.co.uk. Orcus Contact Watchdog. Let's protect the vulnerable and needy in this hobby so they can enjoy it as much as the rest of us who don't resemble hobbits. Let's stamp this out and stamp it out now. Thank you in advance for your help. Hey, welcome to episode three of the Oddball section. As promised from last month, we're going to be discussing Marvel UK and uh, mostly the comics. Uh, what we're going to do this episode is have a look at the brief history of the license and a description of the uh, sort of the format of release and what the uh, comics tell us about Star Wars in the UK, as well as uh, a few other bits and pieces. I've been collecting UK Marvel comics for three years as sort of like a, a side project. They're obviously a lot cheaper than collecting carded figures. And I thought I collected the full range, including, you know, the paperbacks and the specials, but I'm finding new pieces that weren't even mentioned in any of the research that I'd done. You know, such as, you know, I found a, a second issue to the super large size comics. Uh, there was the newspaper strips. And I've also found a droids comic that I didn't even know existed in a, in a local market. So there's, you know, there's still much more to be discovered in, uh, in collecting. And it doesn't look like it'll ever end, actually. Yeah. But for this oddball section, I'm going to really just focus on the actual standard comics. And I'm sure we can, you know, obviously come back and have a look at the other stuff that Marvel have released. I'm also going to make sure that it's the UK Marvel, because with the foreign releases, it gets even crazier from country to country. I mean, you just have to check out the French release of the comics to see how complicated this can get. I want you to look at this as, uh, as sort of like as if this was day one of collecting Star Wars comics because there's so much depth to it. It would take a three, four hour podcast just to do, you know, touch, you know, all the points of the UK releases. So, you know, if you look at this as a very basic umbrella sort of uh, analysis of Star Wars in the UK with the Marvel comics. Now, the history of the license comes from Charles Lippincott, who is uh, Lucasfilm's publicity supervisor. Uh, he initially approached Stanley in 1975 about publishing a Star Wars comic book. Uh, Stanley uh, declined 
and said he wouldn't consider the proposal until the film was being complete. And you have to, con- you have to, you know, take into consideration the movie tie-in comics very rarely sold well back in the mid seventies. It did turn out that Marvel did take up the license, and Marvel was actually one of the only licensees for Star Wars when the film came out. Now, I read somewhere that Marvel was actually having a poor time selling comics in the mid-70s, and just like uh, with Lego in 1998, the Star Wars license basically came to the rescue and gave a much-needed financial injection to Marvel. Uh, Unfortunately, I couldn't find any supporting information for this. Now, the uh, Marvel UK split the stories from the US monthly issues into much smaller uh, installments, so usually two or three uh, UK weekly issues to complete, you know, one of the US monthly issues. The UK comic was also uh, published original Star Wars stories by authors who worked for UK Marvel. Star Wars Weekly Number One was published with a free X-wing on the 8th of February 1978, so almost a year after the uh, American release of the movie. And throughout this eight-year period, Marvel UK also published several Star Wars annuals and paperbacks and specials. So I guess we'll get to that another time. Now, I'm briefly going to talk about the sort of, or describe the format of the release of these issues. I can't find much information about, about the first issues, uh, as I didn't actually know they existed till recently, but apparently there were some Star Wars issues released in 1977 before Marvel UK started Star Wars Weekly in February 1978. These were the same as the American issues, but had the 30 cents price tag changed to the 12 pence price tag. Now, I know that they pop up on eBay at some points, but I don't actually know how many there are, and the information about them is sketchy as best. So, you know, I never knew they existed till recently, but this is once, you know, this is something we're going to jump on and hopefully uh, something we're going to research in the next year and see if we can get a full set of these. There was also a supersized comic that was released in 1977, which is, you know, it's massive. And it had a follow-up second issue as well that came in October 1977. I didn't even know the second one existed till recently either. But these were the only sort of like 1977 releases pre-Star Wars Weekly. Marvel also released an official collector's edition in February 1978. But this isn't actually a comic. This is a making of book, which is another surprise entry from, you know, collecting Marvel Star Wars. Just when you think that, you know, you've researched it all, there's still new bits popping up every now and then. But this wasn't, you know, like I said, this wasn't a comic. It was like a making of with interviews and and so forth. And this is really easy to find if you type in... uh, Star Wars magazine into uh, eBay UK. It's the one with Chaz official collector's edition written across the top of it. Uh, I think it's a Hildebrandt artwork as well, so it's easy to find. Uh, the big release came with Marvel UK's Star Wars Weekly, which arrived in February 1978. And if you include the Ewoks and the droids, the Marvel UK run that started in 1978 ended pretty much in 1989. Now, I always split the Star Wars UK comics into several distinct eras. Star Wars Weekly ran from issue 1 to 117 between February 8th, 1978 and 21st of May, 1980. This was then followed by Empire Strikes Back Weekly, which ran from issue 118 to 139 between May 29th, 1980 and the 22nd of October, 1980. That then changed to Empire Strikes Back Monthly, which ran between issues 140 and 158 between November 1980 and June 1982, and then reverted back to Star Wars Monthly which uh, ran from issues 159 to 171 between July 1982 till July 1983. Return of the Jedi comics then came along, uh, which reset the issues back to one, uh, which started in July 1983 to the issue 155, which ended in June 1986. Uh, Star Wars did then merge with Spider-Man and Zoids in issue 15 on the 14th of June 1986, and I believe that lasted for about eight issues. So for me, there's, there's distinct eras there. There's Star Wars Weekly, 
Empire Strikes Back Weekly, Empire Strikes Back Monthly, the revert back to Star Wars with Star Wars Monthly, and then Return of the Jedi. After the end of the, the, the main Star Wars run, we did have the Ewoks comics that arrived in November 1987, which ran for... 10 issues till August 1988. Now, I actually thought there was 15, so I've wasted so much time looking for five comics that don't exist. And um, I'm still actually looking for number nine. So if anyone has Ewoks number nine for sale at a super cheap price, I'll uh, more than happy to take, it up, to take it off you. Now, Droids, really difficult to research the Droids, but actually the Droids released two comics. There was a TV special in April 1988 and a spring special in 1989. Uh, one of these I can't remember, but I didn't even know it existed till recently when I found it in a in a tatty market store. Uh, Droids also merged with Bumper, which was sort of like a mashup of all other licenses and the one comic. You know, things like the real Ghostbusters, Tom and Jerry, Hulk, and Alf. So you've got Bumper and Spider-Man and Droids if you want to continue the comic strip out to the end. I don't actually know that much about Bumper, you know, basically because I just don't have any interest in it. Now, Dark Horse did reprint a lot of the Droid stuff as well. A lot of the other stories also came back in the 1990s, but, you know, that's not vintage, so I'm sorry, I'm really just not interested in investigating that. Uh, there was also three paperbacks and nine annuals that accompanied the comics, as well as six seasonal specials. Seasonal specials. Now, you know, obviously there's so much to go into talking about these comics and what these comics meant, but I only briefly want to touch on a few things and maybe come back at a later date and look at more detail into it. Uh, collecting these comics I found to be great fun. Uh, kind of remind me of collecting old trading cards and stickers as a kid. They're easy to find. They don't cost much. But, you know, recently I have actually noticed that some prices have increased. My advice is to buy them in bulk and then upgrade your doubles and sell your old doubles on. It really gets you the OCD going better than any other collectible I've collected in the Star Wars. Uh, no Star Wars comic uh, from the UK is rare, but you will notice that you know, the Star Wars monthlies from 1982 and probably from issue 118 of Return of the Jedi are a little bit more difficult to find. The problem is more about persistence and patience and of going through pages and pages of comic auctions. Uh, what does drive the price up is the free gifts. Uh, many of the 350 plus comics came with models, buttons, stickers, transfers, posters, etc. So this will drive the price up. Some examples on eBay recently, uh, issue one, with the X-Wing uh, model went for £54, another one went for £65, and another one had a starting price of £300. So, you know, the, the gifts with an intact comic obviously make a big difference. What I find really interesting about collecting these comics, and I do apologise for just skimming over the surface of this, but they do tell us so much more about uh, Star Wars in the UK at the time. They're, what I'd really like to talk about is two points of interest. One is for fans of the film. And the other is fans for UK Star Wars uh, collectibles. The first uh, for the film fans is that these comics showed us many of the deleted scenes from the original trilogy. And you have to remember back then, there was you know hardly any evidence or rumours of uh, deleted scenes. And many of the scenes would never su- surface except for radio dramas, bootleg VHS tapes in the 1990s, the Behind the Magic CD-ROM in 1998, and the recent Blu-rays. Star Wars, the comic showed us things like Luke watching the, uh, the capture of the blockade runner or the anchorhead scenes with Biggs. Uh, Empire Strikes Back showed us the Wampa attack on the Echo Base and Luke in the medical bay and his Dagobah lightsaber training. You know, a lot of stuff we haven't even seen these till recently. So I can't convey how big a deal it was for a five-year-old back in the late 70s and 80s to uh, have to wait, you know, 30 years to finally see some of this stuff. And, you know, like I said, there's still stuff we haven't seen that was in the Marvel books. Finally, for the collectors, the Marvel UK Star Wars comics give you a great insight into the historical chronological view of collectibles of the time. 
You see the birth of the fan club, the evolution of the collectibles, the releases of the Paddy Toy figures, Bradley Watches, Helix, uh, Letra Set, all the special offers. So they do make a compelling historical record of vintage Star Wars in the UK at the time. And for other fans, you know, it gives you an insight into, you know, Doctor Who, Spider-Man, and tons of other uh, stuff that you might have forgotten about and never seen, you know, for 30 years or even thought about for 30 years. Um, one, one of the things that we did uh, talk about, and Pete, I want to bring you in on this, is um, sea monkeys. Can you tell people about the sea monkeys? Oh, sea monkeys. I've driven people mad about this the last <laughs> the last few days. But um, it, they're mostly featured in the, the American ones. So the, uh, well, the, the American converts, so the, the American comics which had the British covers on. And you had a number of adverts. You had things like uh, the the Grit magazines where you could you could sign up and basically deliver uh, newspapers to people and, and take a certain percentage. But the one that probably got everyone was Sea Monkeys, which is a little tiny dried eggs um, of his little shrimps. You put them into a certain type of water solution, which you were sent a pack with, and uh, they turned to these little little things. Um, I remember a friend had some, and all I can remember about them is that they stunk. They were absolutely rancid smells, um, and they lasted about two or three days, then died. But uh, as looking into some of the history of it, the guy who actually invented them, this, this Harold von Brunholt, um, he was using the proceeds from these millions and millions of sea monkeys he was selling across the entire Marvel range, and uh, funding the Aryan Nation the white supremacy group. So uh, it's nice to know where our cash was going, I guess. But uh, I, w- I mean, that hasn't really come up uh, that often. That this guy who was part of almost part of my Star Wars childhood was um, was using using our cash for um, rather hideous purposes. Didn't see that one coming, Pete. That's a bit of a bit of an interesting sidetrack on that one. So it's quite disturbing go. if you think about it. I mean, he, he had X-ray specs, which were the which were virtually every comic you can find in the 70s and 80s. There was this this stick. That, that flicked out, you could beat people with, which is a bit strange, and the, and then the sea monkeys, which uh, which are still going now. You can still buy them in like um, gift magazine, you know these sort of was it innovations catalog things you, and and gift shops. You can still find them in little packs. They're still going today. Yikes! There we are, amazing stuff. I just want to move it on from the sea monkeys. Just briefly want to talk about uh, collecting, grading, and protection of collecting these non-fascist Marvel comics. Paddy Toy 78 has found out that the proper comic bags and boards to use if you're collecting the UK Star Wars weeklies and so forth are called a size E. Now, I've tried putting them into poly pockets and ring binders, which is okay, but it's definitely best to follow the collecting community on this one and get the right kit. I'd also like to touch on grading. Now, I couldn't find any UK Marvel comics that have been graded, but some of the US ones have been, you know, I've seen issues go for, you know, between £500 and £1,000 for the, you know, the rare UPC version which is kind of nuts because you can get a mint collection of the entire all of the US Star Wars comics for £275. So, in closing, I just want to say, you know, I've had a blast collecting these and it's a much cheaper alternative to the mint on cards. Um, I'd like to find out more about the 1977 early Pence release of the comics in the UK before Star Wars Weekly in February 1978 and any help on that, you know, would greatly be appreciated. I'd also just, uh, you know, I want to apologise for just touching the surface, but there is so much information, there's tons and tons of stuff we can cover with these comics and maybe this could be like a part one and in a couple of shows' time we can go come back and do a, a bit more of an in-depth look at the comics and maybe have a look at the forum releases. So, yeah, any questions, guys? Did all of the UK comics come with a free gift? Uh, no, no, uh, only... Uh, there's quite a few of them that come with a free gift. Uh, every 
you know, periodically they would have like a free badge or the uh, transfers that were out by Letraset or something like that. They would, they would, you know, every now and then there would be, you know, a free gift. When it turns Empire Strikes Back, you've got, um, I've got it here in front of me actually, you've got, um, a free Craft Marvel stroke Dairy Lee action transfers. And the, the yep. picture of Yoda is hilarious. It's really, really like, well, it's the old drawing of Yoda, which is, I guess there's some sort of Macquarie maybe picture of him, which is kind of odd because, uh, Vampire Strikes Back has been covered in here the first time. You thought you might get Yoda right. Well, that, that, that's how he's drawn in the comic as well. He's not drawn like the Yoda we know, I don't think, until Return of the Jedi comics. The Empire Strikes Back one is, uh, like, you know, one of the, uh, I think it's the, one of the Ralph Macquarie drawings of him. There's a great advert on the back of that as well with the, uh, the actual Dairy Lee. I must have had it as well because I would have gone mad for some art. The Dairy Lee craft. What was the purpose of splitting these comics up into two or three issues? I don't, I don't actually know. I think a lot of the um, Star Wars comics also had split stories in there with... Um, I'm not actually sure of the, the titles of some of the other comics that we were involved in, but you had, I don't, they had other space-orientated stories in there that weren't Star Wars, so I guess that they were bleeding those out. But that's why I brought um, Mark Newbold on board for uh, our panel, because he knows all about that kind of stuff, whereas I don't actually... I'm not a big EU fan. You know, I'm more interested in the collecting of them. Basically, got six pages of story of Empire Strikes Back, and then the rest of it is there's two other stories. There's Heroes of the Galaxy. I know that some of them actually held... Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy in some of them. It's quite a sort of full issue of other stuff and they you know, you get the first three or four pages are actually Star Wars, the rest of it is other stuff. Yeah, you'll find like, you know, Heroes of the Galaxy, they're all sort of space related stories. The stuff I've never even heard of, uh, to be honest with you, so I'm not sure what the idea behind that is. Where were these actually available back in the day then, Grant? Because certainly where I lived, the local news agents and uh, bookstores and everything just didn't sell comics. Uh, you should be able to pick them up basically uh, in any of these agents. I mean, I remember the Return of the Jedi ones when I was a kid, but I opted for Spider-Man and Zoids, which is actually better. The stories are better in Spider-Man and Zoids. But yeah, I mean, I can remember the Jedi ones being everywhere. I was too young for the Star Wars and Empire ones. But, you know, they must have... A lot of it was made in the UK, so I'd imagine they would be... You know, readily available. And if it is true that you know Star Wars did, you know, give a sort of like financial injection to Marvel, I should I should imagine it were pushed quite heavily. Richard, I, I can remember um, in our local news agent, a, a little tiny, it's an independent shop thing, not attached to a larger range. Uh, you actually had to request it to be ordered. So in newspapers and stuff, they'd, they'd release these things and say, um, I would like to order this. My news agent you used to get little coupons that you'd have to, have to fill in from various magazines. And uh, yeah. they'd, they'd go back then and place an order with a distributor. If you didn't get it, you had to go. You had to basically request it. Uh, well, what I have noticed as well, when you collect them, just like you said, Pete, it's got like people's names and addresses inside the back covers or whatever, yeah, yeah. inside the front covers. There's a, there's a lot of that, uh, which yeah. kind of goes back to you know what we said earlier about uh, the Helix pencil case going back to its original owner. <laughs> you could do this with the Star Wars comics. But it was it, it was a totally different world. I mean, um, you used to get things delivered. I mean, we used to get our stuff delivered, or, or we'd go and pick it up. But they'd reserve your. We used to have like a, like, like a daily paper here locally, which is like a two sheet broadsheet basically. Um, that I can remember waiting every week for Star Wars Weekly to come out. You know, killing for it. Well, I think it was then Return of the Jedi Weekly, but uh, yeah, it was a whole whole different experience. That I always remember though, booking having to book it in though with a news agent. What will be interesting is Marvel have now. You know, Star Wars has gone back to Marvel. And because they're, you know, making everything canon and obviously they're going to be really tight on the stories that they uh, release, it's going to be a big deal. Uh, the effect that this will have on the, the vintage Marvel Star Wars comics, I wonder if it'll affect it in any way. You know, will these be desired items now because, you know, Star Wars will probably be with Marvel now forever. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I'm thinking back to comics back in the day. I wonder if it was to do with distribution centres. I don't know where Marvel was exactly based and where these were printed. But obviously, I am quite far up north. It's not like it is now, you know, where things can be shipped, you know, stuck in the back of a truck and, and sent straight to stores. So I think that's probably why I didn't see them up where I live. The address well, in the comics is, uh, is, is NW5, so North London somewhere. North London. Well, I don't know if it works like that, because Hasbro is in Newport, where I live, and probably the worst place to buy you know, Star Wars action figures is around where the, where the Hasbro base is, so I don't know if it actually works like that. I don't think distance comes into it. I think it's uh, probably down to orders or whatever. I think I would have done back back in 1978 to 1982, though. I mean, London was like a different world. Well, it still is a different world. But uh, London and down south was, you know, alien to, to, to us. You know, it's not somewhere where anybody would have gone. So, I mean, there was quite a bit of a divide with the what what gap and things like that back then. Well, all the addresses that you write to and stuff within the comics are all the same place for years. Kentish Town Road, London, NW5. So I imagine that's where, that's where it all went on. If anybody from up north... Um, and by up north, I mean, you know, past Birmingham, saw comics, you know, regularly in your area. So I'm thinking of like Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds, Durham, or even up in Scotland. If you can let one know on the forums, that would be great. Because I, I certainly did not, did not see them at all in Newcastle. Well, I'll tell you what would be good as well, Rich, is when we speak to uh, Mark Newbold at Father's From, because he's, in, you know, he's interviewed a lot of the people who actually drew and wrote the comics. So, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get fantastic insight to him about, you know, Star Wars Marvel in the UK. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was just Richard and Gates said because uh, if you look through the, the comics again and look for the letters pages and the uh, submittals from drawings, they were, they were from all over the place. Glasgow, there are there are a lot more to be fair down south, but there is uh, they are from all over the country. So, did you send any in? I think so. Yeah. Were there any in orange crayon or anything? <laughs> I think uh, I'm a decent artist. Like I'm sure I had one published once. I'm sure. Of it. Actually, wouldn't that be great to open one of these comics and to find somebody off the forum who's had a letter or a poster printed in the back of it and they forgot about it? Well, obviously not. Cause <laughs> <laughs> you, you can go through them and work that one out. Well, well I think Grant should. That should be his, his job for the next podcast, to go through all of the comics, write down the names and addresses and try and contact them. Here we go. Is a, is, is a Boba Fett drawn by someone in Tain and Weir. So not a million miles from you. That is me, Tainan Weir. Tainan Weir. Oh, and there's something Inverness. There we go. So, they obviously miss you out. Yeah. Oh, give me Darth Anakin and Ben Kenobi. And Solo Luke Farnboy and a Solid Doma too. Hey everyone, find out about which three packs they did do 
by asking the question on www.starwarsforum.co.uk. Peace out, man. Here we are with the watching of the market section, finally. And there was a rather interesting piece that came up on in the Christie's auction. Uh, it's not really a place I usually go and look for Star Wars things, but it kind of made the news headlines and, and various areas. There was actually two pieces that came up. Uh, the first was um, a Stormtrooper costume or Sandtrooper costume. If you actually have a look at this, it's still on the, the, the uh, Christie's website. It's not the entire costume. It's most of it. It's like the upper body and the sort of partial legs. And this indeed went for um, £35,000 in the end, which was just under $60,000. But the second part of it was actually the helmet, but it, was, it got withdrawn, unfortunately, uh, due to a very long-standing and uh, rather drawn-out copyright issue between um, a studio and Lucasfilm. So I don't really want to go into it because we'll be here all day. But I just thought, seeing as that went for £35,000, uh, what else has... I mean, where does it stand in the grand world of Star Wars um, props and collectibles. And it seems that uh, the number one item went in 2011, which was um, the Panavision PSR 35mm camera um, owned by George Lucas, and that fetched £625,000. The next pricey item was the actual TIE fighter that appears in Episode 4. It's the one that accidentally bumps into Darth Vader's ship. So I wouldn't be surprised if Grant's actually got this somewhere, um, seeing as he's, he's into TIE fighters and TIE fighter pilots. And that fetched £350,000. And then again in 2011, um, a Stormtrooper costume uh, went for, um, it was roughly uh, £200,000, which is quite incredible. Um, and this, this auction actually featured the guy who actually was selling it. Uh, it featured pictures of himself wearing it, uh, running around uh, in the costume, which is a bit strange. But... Uh, just thought it was quite interesting to see that, that um, even though a £35,000 uh, costume is nowhere near the top three sort of items that, are, uh, that have, have actually fetched money um, on the back of Star Wars auctions. Grant, do you actually have any of these uh, expensive prop things you've got everything else? I have the other 29 TIE Fighters. I don't actually have the one that bumped into uh, Darth Vader's TIE Fighter, so I'm gutted I missed that one. Have you, have you actually had any props, though? I mean, you seem to have a lot of collectibles. Have you ever gone in for this whole, a whole prop collecting? Uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I've had a look at it. I've got a few cast and crew items, which I think is the first step into hunting down the props. But to be honest with you, uh, it's just outside my pay grade. If you went back 10, 15 years ago, you could feasibly get some kind of prop for a hell of a lot less money. I think it's you know it's now like 10 times the amount of money that it used to be on some items. But realistically, you're looking at you know a bit of Ewok fur at best inside, uh, or, or maybe storyboards. There's still you know a few cast and crew items there that you can get, which is relatively cheap if you think you know paying a thousand pounds for a piece of paper is cheap but realistically i think that's what you're going to be looking at and i think the 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 sort of like the prop collecting is another it's a whole nother tier on top of just you know toy vintage toy collecting it's a whole nother world and there's a whole nother sort of minefield and network in which to you know embrace and learn so uh, yeah i'm not there yet i would like to have you know a prop at some point I wouldn't mind what prop it is. Maybe, you know, a life-size R2-D2 would be nice from a new hope. <laughs> there, there was something actually interesting about that uh, that, that costume, because uh, it was vacuum-formed. Now, I think I mentioned this in the forum before, that 
that I actually worked with a company who who did all the vacuum forming for um, Star Wars and did the the vacuum metalising because I was a very interesting person involved in the world of vacuum metalising of shampoo caps. Um, so I've actually emailed them to see if we can recall any memories of of those golden days of my packaging uh, world and see if we can actually recall some of the stores that the the owner used to tell me when we should go and visit him that he actually did all the 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 vacuum forming for um, Stormtrooper costumes. So uh, that would be, be a bit of a follow-up, but uh, I don't know whether the, the owner is still around. I know the company is, but um, I, I, shall, uh, I shall investigate further on this one. I was down at uh, Jason Joyner's house at the last Father's Farm, or the one before that, and some of the stuff that he's got, what I saw, was absolutely fantastic. When, when you go inside his house, and I, I've asked if I can talk about this, and he said he's absolutely fine with it, so I'm not letting out anything that you wouldn't be uh, too unhappy about. But um, you go inside his house and he's got um, the Darth Vader suit from Return of the Jedi, full-sized uh, suit as soon as, you, as soon as you go in. And I think he may have said that that was worth a couple of million now, or, or he just paid a couple of million for it. But um, really big suit, it's absolutely fantastic to look at. Other things that I saw there were, um, he had many X-Wing helmets, he had... The Millennium Falcon, which he actually brought so far this from. The Millennium Falcon, which was attached to the Star Destroyer, which detached itself when, um, you know, when they emptied the, the, the cargo before Boba Fett chased him. Remember how that? Ri- how rich is this guy? Oh, yeah, in, insane. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm, sure, I'm sure he didn't pay those prices for it. No, a lot no. Of stuff he got, you know, years and years, decades ago. So, yeah, yeah he's on a winner. <laughs> Sell it. You, you know, you he, he had he obviously had the puppet from Yoda, which he put on um he put on Star Wars for me okay, which is basically just it's just cables now and a couple of hands. I think it's really deteriorated, and Bosk as well. But Bosk has it's it's just disappeared virtually. You know, there's there's nothing left of Bosk. He, he he's got some great. I'd love to spend a full day just going through what he's got in his house, and then from what I've heard of his warehouse, it would take a, a couple of days to go through that. I wonder if um, anyone's considered what they did in Seattle, which which the Americans self-claim as the collecting world of the Star Wars world, uh, which is actually to, to do like a, a, a bit of a road trip and actually visit Pete, you know, major collectors' houses. I mean, could we find ourselves all at Grant's house looking at his collection? Grant, would you ever be up for that? It's at my mum's house, and I wouldn't want to put you through that because she'd sit you down and wouldn't let you speak and do a massive seven-hour monologue about the Second World War. That sounds awesome. What are you talking about? Actually, it looks like he makes a nice scone. Then we're all right. Uh, salty scones. Yeah, it would be good to do, man. I'm really interested in that. I think that Seattle Ice event looked really exciting, and maybe you know, maybe one day down the road we could do something like that here. I mean, they they were travelling huge, huge distances as well. Even though Seattle is you know not the biggest place in the world, it is still a considerable distance to go across it from house to house. But it's definitely worth certain collectors having to think about that because it it would be something that would totally fascinate me to see what people actually had. Right, I shall move on. Okay, we were recording this part about Vectis auctions uh, a few days before the auction actually takes place, uh, mostly to kind of get thoughts of what people have actually had to go at because there's a lot of stuff. Now, by the time this podcast goes out, all this stuff will have been sold and all the fighting and interfighting about bids on various things would have all ended. But uh, as I introduced this Vectis auction to the guys, they um, some of them went a little bit crazy their bids and they've gone through some really really cool stuff and uh and made a few offers now i believe Stuart, you have had more than one or two bids on some of these items can you uh tell us a bit more about it to, to be honest with you pete not really i've bid on everything that i looked at which i'm kind of hoping that they all get outbid but we'll uh, keep you updated on that i currently have 33 
just 33 items. That's that's. Uh, so anyone who hasn't looked at the Victus auction will obviously be posting this on the thread at some stage with all the the results. But some of that stuff, Stu, is is worth quite a lot of money. I hope you've got a, a maybe a second mortgage, William. <laughs> I've got a biggish overdraft. Let's hope that covers it. Was there any particular then that you actually went for, or was it just you know was it carded figures? I mean, there's there's all sorts. On, on, I mean, just go over the auction very very briefly. There are uh, there's some micro collection stuff. There's die cast. There's even a few ceramics and some loose figures as well. What, what was mainly you actually bid on? Right, I have bid on every item on the micros. I've bid on quite a bit of loose. I've bid on quite a few carded. I've bid on ships. I've bid on big lots. I have bid on the uh, the Sigma stuff. I have bid on things that are advertising shampoos. L- literally. You know, if it's on there, I've bid on it. And I'm we're talking about it, the more I'm regretting it. <laughs> I'm, pra- I'm praying for you, Stu, that, that you do get out of bid. I mean, there's still, what, we Monday, it's on, it's, we record it on Monday, so we've got still got Friday to go. Uh, I think it's Friday and Saturday it's spread over, so um, it could be uh, either a dark day in your household. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to have to send some quick emails to get these bids retracted. As we're going through some of these items, and we noticed after after finding a very odd item, which was it seemed very sort of obscure at the time. It was kind of a Death Star and a few books and some figures. And then suddenly out of nowhere, we noticed the very large picture in the corner was of a vinyl Cape Jawa. And I do believe that, that um, Richard might well have bid on this item. Suddenly out of nowhere, we noticed a very large vinyl Cape Jawa. Well, were you looking at it in the dark or something from about four miles away? Well, no, it was it was the fact that as you go to the bids, I mean, they, they have the, um, or the items, they have uh, bits of text. And it started talking about this eight-year-old who won this competition. And you're just thinking, yeah, 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 whatever. And you, you, you never get to the end of it because normally it just tells you that, you know, if it's a card figure, the bubble's in a certain condition. And you, you don't really sort of take any notice. And I think even Grant was looking at it and said, well, what's so special about that? Until, until we saw this inset image in the top right-hand corner, which was pointing to the, the little Jawa figure right at the front of all the figures, and of course it said Vinyl Cape Jawa, and then suddenly it became a bit frenzied. So can you tell us what you bid on it then, um, Richard? I'm, I'm not interested in the Vinyl Cape Jawa. I've got one, and it, it wasn't what I uh, went for in that lot. I'm actually interested in the Palatoy Death Star. It's virtually complete, and I've just missed out on a couple on, on eBay. I know a guy's selling one on Revel Scum, but it's way overpriced, and, it, and it's incomplete, so I thought this is a good chance of, of getting one. I've, I've teamed up with, um, with Ben because he's after a vinyl cave jawa, um, or at least an upgrade on one that he's got. And we've been through the lots and we've, we've decided that, you know, if I'd value that at 200 quid and he values something else at 300 quid and we worked out all of the individual figures and the die cast vehicles. We don't think the books and the scrapbooks worth, worth much, but you know, every, every couple of pound helps. So we've, we've, Got it. We've got a bid in, including all fees and everything, for somewhere around about the seven hundred and fifty, eight hundred pound mark, and we've worked it out. We're not we're not interested in making a profit, but if I get my item and if he gets his item and we sell the rest and we cover all the fees plus the excess that we've had to pay, then then we've both got a good deal. Yeah. Well, that is a hell of a uh, amount of money for some stuff. I mean, it, it is a fantastic list, and it, the scrapbooks have basically got. The competition entries, because uh, the whole thing revolves around this this uh, competition winner, D. Harrison, age nine, um, and he was a, a a lucky winner of this stuff. And uh, all all his letters and all the correspondence are actually in those scrapbooks. So uh, that should be quite interesting to actually to actually see 
see those those uh, those parts, but I don't really think they they probably are probably worth. Well, maybe people will really go for that sort of stuff. I guess if they're not really attached to uh, the competition parts as a whole, but I think I think there is some value there. But um, that yeah. is a hell of a lot of money. Hell of a lot yeah. of money for that. It's it's it's. I mean, those kind of items are probably only worth you know scanning the and sticking online and you know, and the rest of it just going off to some kind of palatoy um, archivist or something like that. I don't think there's much value attached to them. Unless there's anything on headed no paper, of course, from Palatoy, they, they may be worth a little bit. But that that's not what's really captured our interest. I'm after the Death Star, Ben's after the Vinyl Cape, and, you know, if if if, if we got that lot for a good price, we'd both be happy. So, uh, finally then, Grant, have you had a go at any of this stuff? I know you. Uh, there's a few bits and pieces on there, but is there anything that's interested you in this auction? Yeah, man, you're freaking kidding me. Um, TIE Fighter Pilot, miscard on a Darth Vader tri-logo. Unbelievable. Mint bubble, mint card, unpunched. I'm unemployed, and I've put a hell of a figure on it to uh, to actually win this, because <laughs> I only know that Gary Smith had one, and I've always been plaguing him to sell me his, which will never happen. Uh, that's definitely into a black hole. This is actually in beautiful condition, and... Uh, yeah, I, I really need to. Uh, I really need to win this. Um, don't know how I'm going to pay for it, but there's plenty of coal in the mountain behind, so I'm going to start digging tomorrow. I think you can always sell your droid stuff. Oh my god! Yeah, I could. Can I? I could just get sell the droid stuff. Just sell the droid stuff. That's an amazing idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. I, I mean, this would be this would be a big one for me. Uh, all the rest. There of are stuff a couple of miscards on there. I don't know. I think there were two miscarded figures on there with the, yeah, the auction. I think there's a, a Hoth Stormtrooper is there on the uh, FX7 card, something like that. Yeah. There's actually five um, Hoth Stormtrooper, I think it's five or four Hoth Stormtrooper on an ATST driver card, miss cards as well in the auction. Um, and I've got bids on one of those. Um, I've sort of picked out the one that's it's in the worst condition that I'd be happy with in my collection because I sort of figured with so many... If you're going to be um, attracting top-end bidders, it's the second lot out of them as well. So hopefully anyone that's after one that's going to bid big will bid for the later ones, which are in much, much nicer condition, and I might be able to uh, pinch a bargain with that one. Yeah, it seemed from the last auction, or the last few auctions, there's definitely been a few bargains up for grabs, and there's a lot of carded figures in this auction, um, stuff which probably a lot of collectors already got or not they're interested in, especially on Return of the Jedi card. So I, I've had a go at a few... I've still kind of holding back on starting my um, carded collection at some stage, but I thought, well, you know, see if I can get something on the cheap, uh, 20 or 30 quid here and there maybe. Uh, so I've got a couple of bids in, but I'm sure I'll get outbid at some stage. But it is a phenomenal auction, and I think um, if Vectus's website wasn't so irritating at times, um, it could be a far more fun auction, but we'll come on to that another day. But uh, we will wait and see what happens, and uh, we'll obviously, I'll obviously post results when I get them on the forum as well, so we can have a good discussion. But that won't be until the weekend, so we'll, we'll wait and see. There's been a number of um, auctions during the rounds. Uh, one is Aston's Auctions, who I believe are pairing at farthest from. They kind of have a bits and pieces style. They usually advertise um, their auction, their toy auction. They, they, they do two auctions basically in two days. They do um, sort of normal sort of police-based sort of auction on one day. And on the on the second day of the auction, they do toys, um, and there's always they always lead with the Star Wars items, but there actually weren't that many. There was two that did come up, which actually sold to um, actually completed today. Um, one was the Star Wars pen tops, um, and, they, and these were also the scented rubbers as well. Um, and it's a really really nice, well, a reasonably nice lot. There were the the perfume of razors actually had the Return of the Jedi um, 
card and box, so how they'll be displayed in the shop. Um, I don't know um, if you look at the picture what the condition was actually like, but um, it's all there, so it's all complete. It's a it's a full shop display. Then it was just a box of pen tops and then some crayons and a memo pad. And that actually went for £90 in the end, which is a pretty good figure, I think, because they only estimate between 20 and 30 And then the second item of any note um, was a cork board with Darth Vader on it. Um, it was a Manton cork board, and um, that was 1980. And there was also, with that, a Parker Brothers Star Wars game and an NPC Empire Strikes Back Luke Skywalker Snow Spinner model kit, and that was sealed. And overall, that only went for 20 quid, so uh, someone got themselves a bit of a bargain there. It's not amazing items, but it's a bit disappointing, really, considering that they were leading with the whole Star Wars auction, that they didn't have that much stuff. There were a few lots that would just feature some sort of um, figures without weapons, and also a couple of um, ships in boxes where you couldn't really see. But uh, a bit disappointing, and it would be nice to actually talk to Aston's when we see them, see if they've got some more Star Wars stuff coming up, because... Them versus Vectis, there was no competition um, in this month's auction. Right, and I want to welcome back Chris Caswell for this week's Rapid Fire Questions. Right, Chris. You ready? Yeah, ready as I'll ever be. Right, full name? Christopher James John Caswell. Forum name? Caswellbot. Location? Sorry. Favourite Star Wars movie? That'll have to be uh, Return of the Jedi. Favourite Star Wars scene? Uh, Luke landing on Dagobah and meeting Yoda. Favourite prequel moment? Oh, I'm, I, I can't stand the prequels, uh, so I'm going to have to swerve that one. Favourite on-screen character? Uh, the cool hand solo, I think. Favourite planet? Ooh, uh, Dagobah. Optimistic or pessimistic about episode seven? I hate to say it, but pessimistic. Which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? Uh, as an art teacher, it would be Ralph McQuarrie. Which character would you most like to be? Uh, R2-D2. Padme or Leia? Ooh, controversially, Padme. Who shot first, Han or Greedo? Han. Ewoks, love them or hate them? Uh, got a bit of a soft spot for them, yeah, I love them. Favourite figure as a child? Ooh, a man a man Favourite figure now? Still a man a man funnily enough. Which character do you wish they'd made a figure of? Uh, Garindan. Favourite toy vehicle or playset? Gobby the Imperial Shuttle. Vehicle or playset you wish they'd made? The Lars Homestead. Favourite card back? Luke Farmboy, gotta be. What was the last vintage Star Wars toy you purchased? It was a three-pack store display box flat. You grading is... Criminal. What is your Holy Grail item? <laughs> Ooh, oh, there's quite a few. I'd hate to give the game away. I'm just going to have to say the cup of a carpenter. Fantastic. Thank you very much. <laughs> I hope you got that Indiana Jones reference. Yeah, that was some great answers there, Chris. <laughs> Hey guys, I would like to thank everybody who sent some feedback for the show. We're getting far too many positive comments and you're making us blush. Uh, in particular, we've had some great comments from Jez, Michael Sith, Fuzzy Buzzy Toys and Mumbo. 
and we take all of your feedback on board and as I keep saying and, and many we do we're not experts in Star Wars all we're doing is we're sharing our knowledge for your entertainment and we get things wrong from time to time and that's fine we can have a laugh about it when we're really pleased that you're enjoying the show and keep it coming please send us all the criticisms that you have uh, you know we're, we're thick skinned Nothing, nothing's going to hurt we're nothing's going to upset we're um, we're all we're interested in is making the best show that we possibly can for your entertainment. So keep it coming, guys. Star Wars Forum UK podcast at gmail dot com. Yeah, I just, I just want to say as well, uh, a lot of people have uh, requested that you know that they'd like to come onto the podcast. And as what I'm going to say is, everyone at some point is going to be on this podcast who's at Star Wars Forum UK. We want to get everyone on. But you know, if you have any ideas of anything you'd want to talk about, it would definitely help. So we could do a bit of research. And, uh, you know, expedite you and, and, and get you on this podcast. But definitely uh, definitely want everyone to be a part of this. Yeah, good point, Grant, because we've had quite a few people emailing in saying, well, I haven't really got much to add, etc., etc. Our podcast is not about the know-it-alls who know everything about everything. Our podcast is about the Star Wars community. Okay, so I couldn't care if you've only got one beta figure or whether you've got, you know the world's best collection, you know, a la Nick Reina or somebody like that, come on our show and tell us what you've got and why you're passionate about Star Wars and why you're involved in the community because that's what our show is all about. It's a community podcast. I've learnt more about Star Wars collecting since I've been in the podcast and before I was doing the podcast. So that just goes to show that you don't have to know anything at all. It's just one of those things. If you you love Star Wars, Star Wars collecting and vintage Star Wars collecting, then just, just come and take part. It doesn't matter. As long as you've got a computer and Skype. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Pete's on this podcast. He hasn't even seen the films. Yeah. Well, I mean, what are they? I mean, who's in them? Who's, who's Chew Blocker? I don't <laughs> know what they are. I think as well, uh, I want to add a, uh, an extra section to the podcast, which I think we could run up to the next, uh, the next six months. Uh, last month, we had Jez on the podcast, and it was obviously closer to the last Christmas when he made the announcement that he didn't have a Chief Chirpy yet. But now we're closer to the Christmas. What I'd like to do is... is does anyone actually know if Jez has a Chief Chirper mark yet? I don't think Jez does have a Chief Chirper mark. He did He did in the interview say um, he doesn't currently have one, but he is guaranteed he'll have one yep. before Christmas. So what I was thinking is having like a Chief Chirper Jez watch as like a little segment that we could do at the end of every podcast. <laughs> I like that. I'm not too sure Jez watch comes out very well. If you see it quickly, yeah, exactly. If you see it quickly, <laughs> it could be something else. Jez watch. Jez watch. Oh, right, yeah, got you. Jez, darling. Yeah, got it. Was that an offer to your wife? Well, I think we'd best wrap this up before this conversation gets out of hand. As Richard just said, we do appreciate all forms of feedback and comments, so keep them coming. You can contact us at swfukpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash SWFUK podcast and on Twitter at SWFUK podcast. Don't forget to like our Facebook page if you haven't already done so. By liking it, you'll put yourself in this month's draw to win a Jubat box. Just want to say a huge thank you to Chris Caswell for taking his time out this month to speak with us. It was a fascinating chat. And also thanks to Gary Mancini, Wayne Streak and Matt McCartney for also chatting with us this month. And remember to go on and purchase Matt's book and support a fellow forum member. So that is about it from us this month. We hope to see as many of you as possible at Farthest From next weekend, an event that all of us are really looking forward to. So that means it's good night from PD Weedy. Yep, nub. Good night from Rich. Hello, guys. Goodbye from Grant. Hello. And farewell from Ben. All right, sunshine. Have a nice night.
It's goodbye from me. And remember, only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of Star Wars Forum UK. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swfukpodcast.com at gmail.com if you don't like this podcast tough are Star Wars products going to have the durability of say that old favourite the teddy bear I want Yubnub I want Yubnub everywhere Yubnub 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 awesome (laughs) so earlier when you said can you find something to put at the end of the podcast I think I might just have Pete singing Yubnub yeah, yeah, that's it. I didn't yeah, find the words though. I'll sing Yubnub if you find the words. Yubnub. Oh, Yubnub lyrics. Awesome. Uh, Pete, Allelu, oh, which is how it starts. Right? Because you can hear it goes, Allelu, and then it goes, Yubnub. Allelu means celebrate. Because it's I've all about that. celebrate the love. So Yubnub. I've, I've got it here. I've got it here. Yubnub e chop Yubnub. Ato meet to picho keen. Ginyop. Doc filling yeah. Yubnub is hurry. Well, there we go. Oh, or freedom, no. Yubnub. Yubnub and Yubnub is freedom, and Yubnub is hurry. Right, right, th- th- this is the translation. Freedom, we got freedom, and now that we can be free, come on and celebrate. Power, we got power, and now that can be free, it's time to celebrate. Blah, blah, celebrate, lots of celebrating. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate now. Chick, fick, chim, hoja, nela, nadala, woo, jay, woo, suki, idis, ilelu. <laughs> yep. <no. laughs> Kota Choko Koti Cha Toto Koti Cha Toto Ale Luna Tov Ale Luna Tanov Ale Lu Tanov Yep Nup